the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Garden. Glad y'all can join us t- tomorrow. let's start over let's start over it was a wet drive in this morning it was and you know i was i was almost late because everybody was doing the speed limit yeah go figure we're not used to that coming down around the interstate no no and jim was right on my tail tail tailgate i was here before you left home there's no there's no proof of that (laughs) well then i thought well that must be jim in front of me swerving over here swerving over there well first of all you mentioned the word jim yeah jim is back in the studio with a bad penny oh god (laughs) almighty Good morning, Mr. Jim. Good morning, Kenneth. And the man's guys. in here with a short sleeve T-shirt on. I mean, it's freezing, yes. you know. No, it's and not. feels good. I know. Me. I was like, okay, I've missed you so much, Jim, but you're <laughs> going to want it cold in here. <laughs> I, I don't touch the thermostat. Okay. I'll just live with whatever y'all have. But, Jim, good morning to you, buddy. Thank you, sir. And um, I don't want to get into your health, but you feel okay? I'm, I'm much better. Much mm. better. Thank you. And you're looking good. Can I say yeah. that on the air? <laughs> you obviously need glasses. <laughs> oh, and if everybody wants to see how good looking Jim is, y'all I have to turn this. into We're face. all on the camera Exactly. Now. I'm so happy. We're all on camera, so y'all can check us out that way, Facebook Live. I don't know why Veda has, you know, she always had the camera on her, and she uh-huh. just always felt like, uh-uh, this is too much. Yeah. I want everybody in here. Okay. And somehow she got the camera up there. We're all on camera now. <laughs> So I think Veda had a whole lot to do with this. Uh, just, just thinking, thinking, thinking. But I was um, laying there in bed last night, and I thought I heard you know, in the cove. Uh, I don't know if I thought it was car horns or truck horns. I guess I was dreaming. Of course, I think it was thunder. Yeah. You know, because right. I hadn't heard that in so long, right? <laughs> right? But then I was thinking, okay, I had a lot of stuff to get done today. Mm-hmm. A, one, the number one project, like I told yeah. you, Veda, I've been mulching my leaves. Instead of raking my leaves or blowing my leaves, I'm just mm-hmm. getting the mulch more out. Run it across the yard, just grind them up and let them lay where they lay, right? Right. Well, that was one of my projects today. Mm-hmm. Now, do I really feel horrible that I'm not going to get that done? Of not really. Not. Yeah. But, I mean, the leaves aren't going anywhere. They'll be right. there next weekend, right? Right. right. Well, you know, rake them. <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, because if we try to run the lawnmower through the yard right now, you're going to rut. Yeah. Ruts everywhere. That is, that's not going to happen. Because it's definitely rained enough for that to happen. Oh, yeah, think? way yeah. too wet. Okay, yeah. I wasn't, you know, how much did it really rain? I'm sleeping. No, it was wet, <laughs> really wet. And then, of course, you know, the Tigers play today, so I have other mm-hmm. things to do. Oh, so this is good for the rain. However, it goes away by nine. It's still going to be too wet. Surely not. <laughs> oh, too wet to watch a game? No, yeah, Jim. <laughs> too wet to get out there and do the mulching of the uh-huh. leaves in my front yard. Oh, well, you know, I bet your your beds are fine. They're probably draining well. Are do you are your pansies planted? Yes, <laughs> oh. everything. The, only oh. in containers. Okay. Oh, uh, but do you put them in the ground? Mm-mm. Okay. Let's see. What other project can you do besides mow? There's got to, but there are things you could do in the yard today. Really, you know, like um. Just walk around and enjoy it. We always seem to pick out the things that are wrong or the things that we have to do. And that but is just true. Just walk around and enjoy your yard. Well, yeah, but I mean, honestly, <laughs> I, I tell you what, in the last week, I've had a lot of leaves come down. 
And then in the last week with all the wind blowing, I've had a lot of leaves blow over from my yard, from my neighbor's yard, it seems like. And I don't know why my leaves don't blow in their yard. It's right. all their leaves blow in my yard. Huh. Well, that's a good point. Don't Next know why. Next time I buy a house, I'll check out the, the wind directions. You need to. And make sure I'm not downwind of leaves and all of that stuff. Well, one of the things, guys, that we can talk about this morning, and I've got some great notes, by the way. Okay. Well, I mean, these gonna, no, Just these are going to be the notes of the year. I mean, because there's some shrubs that we're going to talk about. And then there's some plants of the year for next year mm-hmm. that some of them I'm impressed with, some of them I'm aren't. Okay. Mm-hmm. But one of the things is, you know, right here on um, where we are in the studio here, there's a railroad track right behind us. I mean, right mm-hmm. behind us in the backyard. Kind of like at Dan West. Yeah, <laughs> just no like at Dan West, Jim. <laughs> Except for Dan West, they're <laughs> sitting up higher. Oh, no. You get that, all kinds that, of experience. That train, uh, yeah. So, I mean, like I've always said, back in the day when I was a kid, I loved to hear the sound of a train horn in a distance. You know, it just sounded so American, right? Right. Well, it's a little different when it's 10 feet from you. It really is. I promise you. It just shakes your bones. <laughs> but anyway, where we are here, I know at some point Todd wants to put some a barrier back on this in this backyard yeah. here and the barrier is not only for a visual block but it's also for a sound block yeah. you know this is true and a lot of people had the same problem whether it's a train or whether it's popper avenue or whatever you know whether it's a visual like a neighbor they're trying to block out yeah. you know <laughs> or whether it's sound so i wrote down some things of what we potentially can use that needs to be, in my opinion, fast growing, right? Yeah. Uh, unless you want to go out and buy a 20 foot specimen to start out with. Most Oof. people don't. You know, I wouldn't. So, one of the things I wrote down and I almost scratched it out was the old fashioned Leland Cypress. Right. Okay. You should have scratched it out. No, well, but should <laughs> I have, though? But should you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, <laughs> you know, if you're planting one or two, I, I, you know, that's fine. But if you're going to put a whole row of them out there, the chances are, are fairly good that you're going to get ceridium canker, which means the one in the center is going to die. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying, <laughs> Kenneth. You're trying. So They're pretty, though. I do like them. They and they're fast-growing. I mean, they yeah. check all the boxes. They're evergreen. They're, they're soft-looking. They're conifer-type. You know, uh, they definitely will put a, you know, a barrier up mm-hmm. in no time, whether it's sound or visual. But like Jim just said, you know, years ago, people quit planting Leland Cypress because of that canker disease they were getting. But now, Jim, now that invaded, now that there aren't as many Leland Cypress out there, do we still think that canker is still going to be a problem? <laughs> yes. Okay, well, that was Well, short. I'm still seeing, you know, we're seeing a good bit of it on, on the Facebook group where people are going, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Why is the limb dying out of my Leland Cypress? Mm. So, yeah, it's it's still out there. Um, now, we've been lucky this year. It's been so dry yeah. that it's not spread because it is moved by rain, um, that it's pr- probably less uh, intense this year than a lot of other years. No, I was just saying this year. Yeah, yeah right, right. Not overall. <laughs> not overall. Yeah. So it's spread... Uh, is it because the soil's too wet, and then it makes it weaker, and then there's that canker that only gets that gets on Leland? Well, the canker forms on the stem, and when mm-hmm. it ruptures, okay, those spores go everywhere, and rain mm-hmm. tends to take those. If you've ever 
been in a real heavy rainstorm and turn a light on outside, you'll see that not only is rain coming downward, you got microscopic little droplets that are moving sideways. Yeah. And, and, and up. Yes. And mm-hmm. that's what's carrying those spores. So, you know, it's, it's pretty easy for it to move from plant to plant. Right. But drainage is still an issue which causes, which Any makes Anytime those... they're stressed, okay. they're yeah. more likely to be infected. Okay. Yeah. So we're not planting them for two reasons. Too wet because our soil, you know, I mean, we can plant where we get good drainage. And the other one is the canker. And, and we can... We can um, like me, I'm going to go up. Not, I'm not going to get that. I'm an expert gardener. Right. See, and that's what I keep thinking. You know, if you really take care of these things and you have really good drainage, and, and like Jim was just saying, Veda, you know, it's stress that really brings on canker disease in these Leland Cypress. Well, stress can be just heat stress. It can yeah. be cold. You know, it can, it can be things that are out of our control. It could be mm-hmm. our mother-in-law. All right, so I should have scratched that one out. <laughs> All right, leave well, us. no, that you were just throwing that one out there so we can discuss no, I, the I issues. Actually, yeah, and I wrote it down. Now, all right, what about replacing Leland Cypress maybe with Cryptomeria? That's what I was going to ask. Cryptomeria is a really good choice. Mm-hmm. Practically nothing bothers it. Uh, so what, what do you think between – I like the Black Dragon – Cryptomeria. Love I like it. the looks, but the what's the other one? Yoshino. Well, there's Yoshino. Yoshino is gets a, really big. It's really big. Yeah. And then there's Radicans uh, that doesn't get as big. I would go uh-huh. between the Radicans and the Black Dragon. Uh, the Black Dragon is going to get about ten foot tall, five foot wide. The uh, Radican can still get pretty big, but um, I, I really, I really like the idea of replacing for those reasons that we just mm-hmm. talked about Leland Cypress with Cryptomeria. Mm-hmm. All right, what about Hollies, guys. I mean, is that going to be fast enough growing? It depends on, you know, it depends on, do you have wires overhead? If you're trying to block Mm. that sound from a road or from your neighbors and not see their their four-wheeler or whatever in the backyard, um, (laughs) if if it can't go 20 feet tall, Mm. then you need to think about something that's going to be thick and smaller, and something like Nellie Stevens Holly. Really, it fills the bill. It's so thick, it blocks sound very well. Mm -hmm. It's got pretty red berries. It's evergreen. Um, does have some thorns on them, so you but know. and tough as nails. They are, yeah. They're, they're a good choice for that. All right. Then I also wrote this one down, and I almost scratched it out. Also, what about clumping bamboo? Yeah, you know, I'm really wanting to plant that somewhere. What do we think about that? I think I like it. I mean, you know, anytime we say the word bamboo, it's kind of like Nandini. You get a big mm-hmm. slap right in the face, right? Right. And they look at you like, what did you just say? Yeah. But the clumping bamboo, and Jim, I think you've planted it before, is, right. is, is not, it doesn't spread like wildfire like the, the regular running bamboo does. Okay, Now, it does mm-hmm. spread, but it spreads slowly. So between clumping bamboo, we'll talk about this when we get clumping bamboo, cryptomeria, mm-hmm. and the hollies, other than those three, what else would we recommend putting on that little fence row? Or, or are those the top three? Well, let's talk about it when we get back. We're going to run to a break. We would like y'all to give us a call at 260-5926 or is our Facebook Live going on? Because we can, if y'all text us on Facebook Live, we can uh, talk about that too. So we will be right back after these messages. Good 
morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Beta with Palladio Gardens in Memphis. Yes, she is, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And we've got... And Jim... And I'm, I'm Jim. Yeah, Jim was... was Jim is the recliner liner. Jim is the administrator of Facebook page that uh, is created, and it is Mid-South Gardening Zone 678. Yes. All right. Great Facebook page. Yeah, I'm it is. You. It is. And uh, oh, yeah, we're talking about fence line. Plants. Yeah, barriers. And, and then one, another one that I wrote down, guys, and tell me what you think, because I saw a lot of these that were dead this year. <laughs> well, there's the answer. It was the, uh, the arborvitas, <laughs> and whether yeah. it's the emerald greens or the emerald giants. And I love the look of those mm-hmm. dense evergreen, kind of columnar, pointed shaped uh, evergreens. But man, I'm telling you, we went through, well, everybody knows the kind of summer we just went through. Really hot and really dry, and it's the dry that mm-hmm. that I think got them. We saw a lot of dead arborvitas even under irrigation, and we all know that irrigation systems are wonderful, right? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that everything gets properly watered just because you have an irrigation system, right? So, what do we think about the arborvitas over, say, a holly or over a cryptomeria? Or what, what number mm-hmm. should we give these between one, two, three, and four? Between one, two, four, four. I mean, really, out of all this time, I've only seen this many die because of the heat stress. Right. Or was it because we were pre-stressed before the heat stress? Well, I think if we stay away from emerald green, which is really particularly... T- Finicky. Hot is is tough on them. Yep. Um, stay with Holstrup. Some of those that aren't quite as picky. My I think they're I think they're good plants. Now I do too. Yeah. You know, of course, the downside of any needled evergreen, you got to watch them for bagworms. If you let them get dry, you're gonna have to watch them for spider mites. Right. So um, again, it, for the average homeowner, I would not suggest planting a row of twenty five or so as a hedge because it's probably going to be more maintenance than you really and, and want. And that's my point. I surely don't mind planting one, two, three, or four, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. just out and about. Right. But when you got to hedge a row of them, because I'm still trying to create a barrier, then I'm like you. I think there are other things out there that are less problematic and maybe less maintenance than, say, the arborvita. Well, right. that, that works for me because I don't like to plant all of one thing. So if we're good planting three of this and a couple of this, then I can go with a different range, uh, more of a range of evergreens. Well, yeah. and I'm telling you, though, this year in particular, I mean, I've seen more dead arborvitas around the city than I've ever seen in mm-hmm. my life. And that's the honest, the honest truth. And it all came down to water. Some of them were either getting way too much water uh, or, or inadequate drainage. And then a lot of them were just not getting enough water, even the ones that were under irrigation. Yeah, and, but you hit on something right there. When people say it's under irrigation, you have to realize, though, that the root zone is two and a half to three times as wide as the plant itself. Right. So if you've got an arborvitae that's four <laughs> foot wide, it's got, you know, n- nearly a 16, 18 foot root zone. And chances are your irrigation system is not putting water all over that. Yeah, and chances are the irrigation system is only putting enough water out there to penetrate maybe an inch or two down. Right. And that's it, you mm-hmm. know, and it really needed that good saturation right. of water, well, right? Also, all the roots are inter- intertangled. Intertangled? Right. Is that the word? That's Absolutely. a good word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so if one is a, a little under stress and the other one's good, then a lot of times that one will die out because the roots are taking nutrients from the stressed one. 
But then on the other hand, too, trees and things like that help each other out. And Mm. so the one that's really healthy a lot of times can help heal the one that's stressed because of their roots connecting. All right, so the bottom line is we don't mind using arbovitas, but we mm-hmm. just maybe don't want to plant 25 of them in a row. Yeah. Good corner plants, good specimen plants, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's not something I would want to, to line up along right. a fence. All right, so, okay, so right. I've got... Um, Okay, I've got a cryptomeria. Yeah, I want it to get like pretty tall. Okay, I want it to really kind of yeah. block that visual also. Okay, so I've got a cryptomeria. I'm going to put that in the corner, and then I'm going to go probably to the other corner, and maybe I'll do three arbovitas like, like what do you say, like dominoes? Mm-hmm. Not no. Well, that could be straight in a line or that, but not straight in a kind line. Kind of staggered. Like, yes, that's the word staggered. Okay, so now what am I putting in between? Well, that's only if you have enough room though, because. Oh, gonna, my fence is going to be, you know, 100 feet. Oh, it's a long I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just going with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, another thing, plant that I think we underuse, uh, and, and when we use it, we don't use it properly, is Eliagnus. Makes a mm-hmm. great hedge, but it should never be trimmed. It should be yeah, left know, to grow, right. let it weep over. Extremely fragrant when it's in mm-hmm. bloom. It's evergreen or evergray, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and I think it makes it for this type of situation mm-hmm. here behind the radio station it makes a good option because um it's tough as nails it is you know mm-hmm. and it's not a focal point like mm-hmm. you you know if if you've got a your own backyard mm-hmm. you may want to do something tall mm-hmm. in the corners and mm-hmm. have different textures mm-hmm. and that sort of thing but here we're looking at a railroad track, yeah, yeah we want just something that's, that's functional right. that's all yeah and i think ely agnes uh, is is a good option for that okay but you mentioned you really don't like pruning ely agnes yeah. And, yeah. well yeah. because well, i don't mind pruning everything in my landscape because it grows so rapidly mm-hmm. i mean you know if you've got a hundred foot row by the time you cut one end and get to the other you got to go back (laughs) you know it's putting long shoots out just Mm -hmm. one right after another and that's it's not it it doesn't lend itself to pruning well Mm -hmm. you know and if you prune it improperly you get thick canopy it shades out the underside then it starts to die woody up underneath there so if you leave it alone and just let it grow naturally it's a spectacular plant and it's well there's different iliagnus and the one that's been planted a while back that I seem to have seen the most, I mean, it grows up in trees like yeah. a vine. It's just got long tendrils, and then I've seen it all like five feet up into a tree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of Eliagnus now that you can't even plant in Tennessee yeah, anymore. Pungent, you can't. Fruitlandii, you can't plant anymore. So they're not even going to be for no, sale. No, so no. we don't have to what worry about... What you're going to find is Ebenjai, which mm-hmm. is, a, is a good one. Now, yeah. It still has some, some thorns in it. Yeah. So it makes a good security uh, oh, barrier that's a good also. Point. Yeah. Well, uh, my goodness, even if it didn't have thorns, can you imagine trying to get through that thing? No. All right. So I think tough. we settled yeah. the issue, though, where we there is something we can surely put back here on this back fence. Mm-hmm. There again, to, if, if more than anything, and just as important is the sound barrier. Right. Mm-hmm. And like Jim was saying, the Iliagnus, it is a thick plant. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's here's one then. So like you were saying, well, how big's your backyard? And say. My backyard isn't huge, and the Iliagnus is going to be eight feet 
wide or it could more, be yeah. it or more mm-hmm. so let's see what can we do for for thinner but well hollies why not use mm-hmm. hollies i didn't say i don't have hollies on my fence yet yeah, yeah. it's like jim was saying the nelly r just fits the bill yeah right? you know it's going to max out in 12 to 14 feet yeah um and again it's a plant that looks quite lovely if you don't touch it mm-hmm. just let it grow well it seems like also all the pruning that we do since tends to stress them and like well i think it's because like you help i can't get out of my sweater (laughs) i think it's like you said um with all that pruning we're leaving a canopy on the back right and then and then it (laughs) you know evergreens need to be pruned at an angle so that the top is more narrow than the base uh and if you're planting a hedge that runs Mm -hmm. east west the north side of it that your neighbor's going to look at is going to be thinner because it's going yep. to, it's not going to be uh-huh. any sun hitting on it. Right. But that's okay. You're looking at the yeah, south side. Yeah. <laughs> Let <laughs> them know? figure out something taller <laughs> for the right. other side. That's right. That's their issue. Yeah. <laughs> but, wow, you know, Iliagnus is awesome right now because it's a silvery color. It gives you a whole different texture, and right now they smell fantastic. Yeah, I've never had a problem with Iliagnus. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as far as the, the look. And some people, there again, I mean, they look at the Iliagnus, and you've heard the word Iliagnus Ili- Ili- forever. Iliagnus, yeah. yeah. But, but it's it's they they've messed their ears up. That's yeah, the reason yeah. they're ugly. You know that's got to yeah. be because the first time I ever saw them was in Colleen, Texas, on the Army base, and that's all that was there was big clumps of Iliagnus in various areas, and then they were actually pruned these big meatballs. Oh yeah, and pruned weirdly. You know, like it was rounded here and not so much there. So my first experience with Illy Agnes <laughs> was that. Yeah. And then after I started seeing it in its normal landscape. Natural and, state. Yeah, and this, the, how good it smelled. Then. So Illy Agnes is one to go for. Oh, and I know we got to go to a break, but in, in 10 seconds. So what about the, the clumping bamboo? Oh, yeah. Something we just stay away from because we know eventually it's going to spread, even though it spreads slow. Well, they're, they're little. Well, we'll talk about that after yeah, we'll the talk Channel, we come back. Yep, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Mid-South Garden. Glad y'all can join us this morning. I'm Veda with Palladio. And, you know, come check us out this weekend. Christmas you open. your open house, right? Yeah, Christmas mm-hmm. open house. Now, that's mostly for the antiques and the interiors. Oh, sure. Yeah, but we've got um, things at the garden center and then at the... Um, what are we th- it's we've got the garden center with the plants, and then we have the garden that has the fountain statuaries and architectural stuff. Oh, it's beautiful stuff. I've seen all that stuff online, and the painting. Some of the paintings you'll have is just crazy. Oh, it beautiful. is like that. Edelstein, I think. Mm-hmm. Wow. And well known name. Yeah. When are um, y'all's open house? Not doing it this year. You know, we actually mm-hmm. didn't do it since COVID. And yeah. uh, it's just, you know, we still run things on sale, of course, mm-hmm. just like we were having, you know, a, a open house sale. 
But uh, Veda, uh, Lydia's been in the Christmas shop. You know, it's almost mm-hmm. ready. Yeah. I was in there yesterday, and it's it's spectacular. Yeah, and then, but you know, of course, me on the garden center side, kind of like yeah. you, Veda. It's still all about, you know, pansies, violas, mm-hmm. tree shrubs, and then tons and tons and tons of bulbs. Yeah. You know, that people, you know, we forget about planting our bulbs. But if you want that beautiful color next spring, tulips, daffodils, crocus, hyacinths, whatever, you know, now's the time of year to get them in the ground. Yep. I did a little segment uh, yesterday on fall bulbs on the Facebook group. So if you get a chance, read it. And it give you some pointers about tulips and and how to eat the plant and what mm-hmm. to do and how long to chill them and all that kind mm-hmm. of good stuff. So, yeah, so. a lot of good stuff. And we'll actually talk about some bulbs later on during the show. But I'll get off this kick here as far as, you know, the sound barrier or the visual barrier. Hmm. And the last one we were down to, because we talked about Iliagnus, which hmm. is a great choice. We talked about Arbovitas. And I don't, I love Arbovitas. I love the way they look. But I'm with y'all. I don't mind planting three or four, maybe five Arbovitas in a row. I'm not going to plant 25 in a row. And I've seen that a lot, mm-hmm. okay? So the Arbovita is another choice. And then we talked about the Cryptomeria. Uh, nothing... I mean, I don't know if there's mm-hmm. anything wrong with cryptomeria. I mean, I know you can get a few brown limbs yeah. and a few brown needles, and they can fall off in the fall, but a lot of evergreens shed the same way. I see that they like space, but because, of course, most plants do, but it seems... But they'll tolerate some shade. Yeah, you that's know, true, which, yeah. You know, there's some growing at, <clears throat> at the zoo that are in, I thought, way too little sunlight, mm-hmm. and they're beautiful. Yeah, really? See, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then, of course, the hollies, and there's so many different hollies out there, but if you want, like Jim was saying a while ago, just a hearty fast-growing, tough, buried holly, mm-hmm. just go grab the Nellie R. Stevens. I mean, yeah. you can't go wrong there. And then the last one we were talking about, of course, is the clumping bamboo. And that's the one where I just don't know enough about it. I've never planted it myself. I've seen it growing around. Mm-hmm. And I surely know that clumping-type bamboos aren't going to spread, you know, like wildfire like the running bamboos do. But is there a cautionary tale there as far as planting clumping bamboo? Jim, well, Jim's the, the bamboo guy. Yeah, the most important thing is you got to give it room because although they are clumping, they're wide. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm, in fact, I planted a new variety um, a year ago um, that I got from Plant Delights, which is a, it's a clumping. Uh, it's very, very pretty. And it gets about 35, 40 feet tall. Um, now, last <laughs> winter... Because it was newly established, it got killed to the ground. But it flushed mm-hmm. back out this year. It's eight feet tall, but it's probably eight feet wide. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a young plant. So I wouldn't so, have thought that. Yeah. I mean, once it canopies up, yeah. it's going to be probably the top canopy is going to be 15 to 20 feet wide. Wow. Uh, and, and like you say, they do... The clump expands, it does. but it doesn't pop up in your neighbor's yard or right. 20 feet away. Yeah. Will it stop around eight feet? Tall? Uh, wide. Uh, Wait, how wide you say? No, I mean, it's going to have 20-foot canopy on this uh. one. Now, a lot of what we see around here that's sold as a clumping bamboo that Bracey's Nursery mm-hmm. sells, it's going to max out probably in a 12 to 15-foot range here. Yeah. Um, said that would be more my size. Yeah, yeah it, it has a very fine leaf in... To me, it's it's not the most attractive plant because you'll have the, the the canes are thin, and you'll have some of last year's dead canes right. scattered in with the new green ones, and it's right. you got it's just not flush of green that I think is very attractive. Right, 
But but you wouldn't still not recommend planting clumping bamboo because it is much easier to maintain oh, yes. than the running bamboo. Right. Yeah. I mean, seen, I planted it on purpose. Yeah. Right. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I've seen some pretty areas where, the like you said, the height or it gets really tall, but then they it's like they're putting in front of a wall for the sound barrier but then they strip all the lower leaves off right. where you have the just the pretty canes yeah. and then they keep the leaves up at the top so that was a way to get more room in a zero lot line mm-hmm. but then still have the height all right so that is a maybe so the only one out of all those that we really kind of just give you a, a caution about is the really the leland cypress even though i love the way they grow i love the way they look they, they do perfect. They fit the bill. But with that potential problem of that canker disease that they are so susceptible to, it's kind of like planting red tip fotinas and thinking that you're not <laughs> going to get endosporium leaf yeah. spot, right? Right, yeah, right. right. So, that one I believe. <laughs> and so, so, so most people just stay away from fotinas now. You don't see people planting them like you did 20 years ago. So I guess the same yeah. thing is kind of true with the Leland Cypress. Mm-hmm. Gosh, tw- or you mean in 30 years ago? Well, maybe ago. 30 years ago. <laughs> Because you know yeah. you're going to get a leaf spot on red tip uh-huh. fotina, and I, and that there again, that's another one of those plants that were, it was perfect. Mm-hmm. It did exactly what we wanted it to do. Yeah. There's a couple in my neighborhood though that are 25 feet tall and not a mm-hmm. spot on them. Right, clean as can be because they get plenty of air movement yeah. through them. They're, when they're in bloom, they're spectacular. Gosh. Um, but did they leave them as a bush or did they, they tree them, them go, up? They, no, they just let them go tree wow. form and let yeah. them get big. But but people aren't going to take that chance, though, on red tip fotinas. No, They're I just mean, not going to do it. You start shearing them into a hedge and it's going to happen. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Don't, the, we don't are, even sell They're them. related to roses. I mean, and so that tells you right there you're going to have issues. <laughs> yeah, and the same thing, you know, with roses, y'all, with the, uh, you know, the witch's broom. Mm-hmm. You know, so many knockout roses, and it's different from year to year. I get that. And we know it's a windblown mite, you know, that causes all the problem. But, I mean, are we going to look back, you know, 10 years from now and go, man, remember the days when we used to plant roses, yeah. like knockout roses? Right, right. Well, now that witch's broom is, you know, some years are so bad, you know, I wonder if people are shying away from that. Well, uh, maybe if they had a planted one. Yeah. Well, some are, but, you know, I'm kind of an advocate of treating roses now as annuals. I mean, if you plant a first-year <laughs> knockout rose, it's spectacular. Mm-hmm. I agree. It will grow like mad. And Rip bloom. it out in the fall, put another <clears throat> one in next year. If it's gets, got the disease, well, you just throw it away, you know. But, you know, we're finding out a lot of new stuff about it. You, we, we thought at first that uh, knockouts got the disease could, or could pass the disease with your tools. Right. Mm-hmm. But it appears that that's not actually true. Yeah, yeah I've been reading about that, too. You know, it's <clears throat> it's just from the mite. Now, mm-hmm. you can pass the mite on your right, tools. Right, right, yeah. Um, but it's just from the mite or from grafting. So, you know, but th- we're talking about this thing is so tiny. It's like one two hundredth of an inch. It blows around in the wind. Yeah. Yeah. And so the chances are are fairly good if there's anybody around you that's gotten infected when you're going to get it. Uh, Yeah, and I don't think keeping them as, I mean, if you're trying really hard to keep them real healthy, if you have like environmental conditions around that are not so good, they're still going to get it. Well, it's it's possible, but there are some cultural things that you can do to really significantly knock it down you know i when i first heard about this you know I, they told me that it reproduces in the fall well we're finding that it actually starts reproducing in may and july so we need to start pruning earlier 
by every time you get a flush of growth, whack off 12 to 15 inches of it after, after it's that done. bloom. Because the vast majority of those mites are right at the tip mm-hmm. or the leaf, just below the tip of, of mm-hmm. that flower bud. So if you can continue to do that through the season, your chances are pretty good of not getting it. And also planting like a row of knockouts. Yeah. For example, I'm not picking on knockouts, but I'm yeah. telling you, there's so many shrub roses out there now. And you plant like a big, thick row of them. It's mm-hmm. like Jim and Veda used to always say, it's like a catcher's mitt to mites. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's going to catch right. them. Yeah, well, the, this one location, there was a number of knockout roses planted, and they looked good for years, and the landscape started getting bigger, and the holly shrubs started pushing on the knockouts just mm-hmm. a, enough, so there was no air circulation. They were getting blocked from a lot of sun, and the next thing you know, they had the uh, yeah. ro- roses rosette. Rose rosette, <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, that's what I'm saying, hopefully it doesn't come to that. So if you're planting them, you know, and you got space in between them, and you're cutting back the foliage uh, after every set of blooms, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, give it some space. Like I said, I think that's the biggest thing. And keep your eyes out. And if you do start seeing this rose rosette, then go ahead and just get rid of that rose. Right. Yeah. I like the yellow knockouts. <clears throat> I like them all. I like those. But I don't see a lot of them. Are they, are they, do you think they're a little weaker? They always seem a little light. I think yellow roses, period, are a little weaker. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but bummer. also, you know, it's yellow for one day and then it's cream color. <laughs> yeah, that's a good <laughs> point. You know, it's, yeah. ju- it's not a spectacular mm-hmm. yellow rose like, you know, a good cutting rose. Yeah. Well, fine then. Okay. Let's go to a break. And Jerry, Calling from South Haven. Hang on a second. We're going to go to a break and then we'll get back to you and find out what your questions are. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid South Gardening. Let's go to Jerry. Good morning, Jerry. Thanks for the call. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, Jerry. Anyway. Uh, I got a nice little simple question for Kim. Yeah. Or Jim probably knows too. I don't know about that, but go ahead, Jerry. <laughs> well, he, you know, he's refining too much. <laughs> um, I got that pre-merge from you the other day and I got thinking, well, I have my yard sprayed every year. Yes. And they put out the pre-merge with that type they use hurt, that, uh, area I got, with, I don't want no grass in or no weeds. Uh, you mean grass. like? After you put one pre-emerge down and then they sprayed again? Yeah. Okay, yeah. No, that wouldn't hurt. Well, I mean... Just give you a little longer control. Yeah, I mean, it's it's as far as the different pre-emergents that are out there, Jerry, you know, the one that we typically sell, uh, the, the common name is called Dimension. Uh, Dimension is a, a pre-emergent that people put down, the one that we sell, uh, put it down dry, and you come back and water it in, as you know, Jerry. The beauty of Dimension is you can put it in your lawn, but you can also put it in your beds. And it would definitely control weed seeds before they come up. It won't kill anything, you know, that's already up and growing. And if you look at the back of the bag, like Jim was just saying in Veda, is depending on how heavy you put it down. Now, you can't go overboard with it, but depending on how heavy you put it down is going to tell you what the residual is going to be. In other words, I think 20 pounds per 3,000 square feet is going to be like a three-month residual, okay? Well, 15 pounds per 3,000 square feet might give you a four-month residual. So, yeah, now, but there are different pre-emergents on the market, many of them out there. 
Uh, some you can strictly use just in the lawn. Some of them are strictly used just in the beds. Some of them are used for both, like the dimension. But the only thing I'm going to tell you, Jerry, is you still don't, you got to be careful on how much of a pre-emergent you put down. Because if you put way too much down, you can actually root prune your lawn. Yeah. So his, his issue was he put it down and then the lawn maintenance put more down. But how, what was the uh, amount of time in between? Uh, you know, they do it like, what, twice a year? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, like Jim yeah. said, longer residual. Right, and they're using, uh, I'm sure, a different product. A lot of them use pendimethalin, and it, don't, it has a two times a year limit uh, mm. because you can very easily, uh, as Kenneth said, prune the roots on desirables. Um, so, you know, you, you do want to be careful with some of those, but I, I don't think that if they put down pendimethalin and then you came back with dimension, that it's going to give you any grief. Yeah. I just thought, you know, as long as I had the, them doing it, I said, you know, I'm going to still use the stuff Ken told me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so you're yeah. going to be fine. But, you yeah. know, you can use it in your flower beds, which you, you know, they're not going to spray yeah. what they're using in your beds. Right. One good thing about Dan West, I like, he, Ken gives you good curbside service. <laughs> Jerry, I'm going to send you a check as soon as I get out of here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Just send me a uh, coupon to McDonald's. That's where I'm going right now. Oh, hey, Jerry, you're a good man, buddy, and I appreciate the phone Thanks. call. Right. Thanks for the call. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. Yeah. Well, so that's good. So everything's all good with. Uh, I guess you would get longer residual because there's been one put down, and then maybe a couple weeks later another one was put down. So that's how it's extending out. But I mean, how but, does how does on putting down extra amount of pre-emergent at one time give you a longer residual? Give you longer residual. It, how does become, that work? It binds to the organic matter in the, the ground, and it biodegrades at a particular rate, and depending mm-hmm. on how much water you get through it. So the more you put in a smaller area, the longer it takes for that to leach out. But but there nice. is a, a line that you don't want to cross, though. Yeah. That's right. I mean, you can put too much of anything mm-hmm. down, including pre-emergence. If you go back to what... Or 2008 or something where we had golf courses lose their Bermuda all over town. <clears throat> what we had had was a very dry fall. Mm-hmm. They had heavily dosed with pre-emerges and then we had a winter that dropped down to like zero. Mm-hmm. Bermuda is killed at around 8 degrees. So mm-hmm. I mean there just wasn't any Bermuda golf courses. <laughs> no. I mean that it killed the fairways. The, the greens. I, I mean I remember that. that. I, yeah. I don't, well, it I may have been even to. further back than that. So, Maybe uh, so, because anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> so the pre-emergent, he's all good with that. And then what we're talking about with pre-emergent is you put it down now and it's going to stop the weed seeds from coming up. Um, we like to say three times a year, sometimes four, if you're having a lot of weed issues. About every three months, it doesn't hurt mm-hmm. to put that pre-emergent down. And it made me, uh, I was talking to a customer yesterday with a pitcher on the phone, right? Mm-hmm. He had planted some pansies in a bed, and the pansies looked great. But in between every pansy, there was little chickweed coming mm-hmm. up in this yeah. bed. I mean, and it almost looked like he did it on purpose. That's how much chickweed was coming up. So that must have been where the little light was exposed between each pansy. Oh, man. And he was like, so is there a product that I can spray in there that's going to kill the chickweed and not hurt the pansies? Mm-hmm. Well, the short answer is absolutely not, Okay. But I also explained to him, I said, ideally, in the perfect world, next year, remember this, is to put the pre-emergent down after you plant your pansies, Mm -hmm. and that will keep all that chickweed from coming up to start with. 
So I said, look, either you're going to have to go in there and just sponge, you know, some Roundup on this chickweed very carefully, selectively, because it kills anything that it touches, including the pansies. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't hurt to go in there and put a light layer of mulch down uh, around these pansies in this bed. But y'all, I promise you, I don't know if this was a really old bed that it hadn't been planted in a long time. Because anytime you go in there and work the soil, you know that you can bring weed seed up. But it looked like this was done on purpose. That's how much chickweed was in there with these pansies. I love to pull chickweed because it comes out so easily. Yeah. And it's a great <laughs> the, accomplishment. This would have been a lot of pulling, I'm telling oh, you. It's a great accomplishment to actually pull a weed out. Or you could use um, like those shuffle hoes maybe if they're not planted too close They were together. pretty thick. I mean, it's going to be yeah, hard to get in there. You're just going to have to hand pick. Or like you said, brush with Roundup. Get a sponge or, you know, with some cum gloves on and just kind of rub that, that, that uh, chickweed. Or pull it up. It makes a pretty good pesto. This is true. It does. And I'm falling out of my chair because <laughs> Jim <laughs> likes the weed. The only weed that I've food. the only weed that I've ever eaten was uh, pigweed uh, uh-huh. from Arkansas. I got a good friend, Bland Britton, that lives over there, and he, um, of course, he's got a beautiful place. But pigweeds everywhere with all mm-hmm. the farming that goes on, and he actually brought me a container of cooked pigweed that was still warm mm-hmm. you know and it's one of those where he's staring at you like the pressure's on i'm starting to you know get i'm sweating my, my head my forehead starting to sweat and i'm thinking am i really going to sit here and try to eat this in front of this gentleman yeah and I, so he brought the fork and everything so i did i started mm-hmm. eating this stuff it was great y'all yeah. i mean it tastes just like turnip greens to me not quite as mm-hmm. tart but uh, so I'm not going to say I've never, ever eaten a weed before. So if you want to eat chickweed, Jim, Veda, y'all knock yourself out. didn't say I out. wanted to. Right. You can make the <laughs> stuff out of it. The, the first plant I've ate, eaten was when lived in Italy and uh, uh, people that lived behind us had a whole bunch of daylilies. So they, of course, we're not speaking the same language right. at all. I didn't and alert in any, so we've got sign language. So they pull out uh, the day, they take the daylily blooms off the daylilies and put them in cornmeal and fry them and then offer me to taste them. And so I'm thinking, can't you know, be that can you, bad, can right? Can you taste it first? You're just wanting to get rid of uh, the <laughs> Americans that live close to you. It was so delicious. So delicious. The daylily blooms battered in um no is, is it before the bloom opens or is it an open it's bloom an open or both bloom. it's open bloom and then you flatten it but you did take out the stamen and all that of course you could deep fry anything right i know <laughs> it was so good so yeah i'm eating pigweed from arkansas mm-hmm. i think he pulled it just on the side of the road guys now there's no telling how many yeah. chemicals have been sprayed on this thing <laughs> with all the crop dusters that are over yeah. there so, Inside uh, of the road, all the pollution coming uh, off. The, oh, 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 the exhaust, and here I am eating this thing. But it was it was really good. Mm-hmm. No, it was no. Compl- and I think he put a little bacon in there, so he spiced it up a little bit. So yeah, it, you Spl- know, explains a little bit now. Too, yeah, I think it does. Too. That's true. Well, chow chow and ketchup, and you can eat anything with those two. True that. All right, y'all, hang on for a few because we're going to be back, and we'd love to take your gardening questions. Two six zero five nine two six. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. 
Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening. And we have this one and one more hour to go after that. So surely we'll cover what you're interested in. But <clears throat> if we're not, we'd totally love to take your call, 260 5926 mm-hmm. Go to My D990 on our on the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Shoot us a text to search right there. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, to give us a text that way. Um, or if you don't want to be on air, Josh, our program director, answers the phone and all that, and he can take your question and put it up on the uh, computer screen, and we can answer it that way. Yeah, and then kwmradio.com, you know, streaming live all the time. You can always go back and listen to the podcast, mm-hmm. Beta. If you want to, you know, if you didn't get my wonderful answer the first time you can always go back and listen to it again <laughs> that's right? it yeah or incriminating answers too well that also yeah i have a you know a lot of people come into the garden center that haven't listened to the show and they're saying oh 6 a.m okay oh, no worries podcast or you can get the 7 or you can get the 8 a.m yes version. you sure can and the gardeners get up pretty darn early they do. you know for the yeah. most part and then we've got what tomorrow tonight? Do we fall back? Oh, yeah, we yes, do. we do fall back. So and then when next spring we spring forward, and then we don't do it anymore. Did Wait, you? Is what? that official? That is official. Thank yeah. the Lord, because every oh, time I'm wow. one of these old-fashioned, decrepit old men, mm-hmm. I guess, because every time there's a time change, y'all, it affects me. It yeah. it, it bothers uh, me. That's a good point. I mean, because yeah. I just it takes me a little while to get acclimated mm-hmm. to the new time. Yeah. I mean, it's only an hour. I get that, but it really does affect me. It, it's crazy. It does. Our body we have clocks. that circadian. Rhythm that's interrupted. So I, I, I'm so glad to hear you say that, Jim. So next year when we spring forward, that's it. That's it. So yeah. it will be fantastic. Because I'm tired of setting my clock back and forth all this time. I, I spend uh, a whole. You know, I've said for years, you, you go forward, you go back. Why not yeah. just move it up 30 minutes and forget about it? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I like that. That's great. <laughs> split it down that's the middle. Great. Yeah. I like that. I like because what do you do? Leave. I leave my clock on for my clock on. I leave it set for the old time for like until we reset our time, and then it's right. Yeah. And so then I leave it again. Yeah. Well, anyway, so that's good news. But so tonight we fall back, meaning at midnight tonight it's going to be eleven o'clock, right? Right. So we get an extra hour of sleep in the morning, but then tomorrow afternoon, if I'm you know when I'm at work. When five o'clock, when four o'clock comes mm-hmm. around, which is really five today, yeah. you know, that, it, it just feels weird. I'm yeah. telling you. So that's a good thing. Thank the Lord that we're getting away from that yep. daylight savings time. All right. So, you know, I we hear this a lot about planting native plants around so uh, we can attract insects and all of that. But Hold on. These attract beneficial, beneficial insects? Okay. Yeah. But, you know, beneficials are on in every state you know so if we're trying to attract some beneficial uh, insects by planting certain plants why does it really matter if beneficial insects are everywhere on every kind of plant well there's always going to be i mean well let me put it this way typically if you're having a problem in your landscape eventually you're going to get beneficials Mm -hmm. okay uh, for example, like uh, crepe myrtle bark scale. You know, when it crepe myrtle bark scale first <laughs> came out, there was the uh, mealybug destroyer that we saw climbing up and down the trunks of these uh, crepe myrtles, eating this small scale. Well, I'd never in my life seen a mealybug destroyer, which is a insect, before then. 
mm-hmm. you know, ever. Right. Uh, so it seems like, you know, unless you're out there nuking your landscape every other week, you know, with a, a chemical spray, um, you're going to get beneficials if you if you actually start having a problem. Yeah. Usually there's a, there's a counterbalance mm-hmm. for most problems that are out there by Mother Nature. Right. Because insects are blowing in the wind, <laughs> and then when they see something that's an issue, they just cruise on over there now, and take care of it. Now, of course, you know, having a diverse landscape, uh, you know, whether it's different perennials and different, uh, you know, trees and shrubs, uh, if having a habitat, I should say, for beneficials, mm-hmm. um, not a bad thing. Right. But I don't know a particular, Jim, do you know if any, I mean, do Does it have they, to be native? Yeah. You know, that's what I'm saying is... Don't worry so much about having to only plant natives to have the right balance. Right. Yeah, and so many things that we grow around here um, are not native to our area, although they're native to the United States. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how picky are you going to get? <laughs> right. Yeah. But, you know, um, why not plant tropical milkweed? I right. mean, it's a great yeah. food for monarchs. In fact, they prefer it over a native one. Yeah. So. <laughs> but then you hear other people say, no, 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 don't plant the tropical right, milkweed, exactly, you know, because exactly. that's not a good feather. thing yeah. for, for, for monarchs. That's so. my whole point horse right feather. there. Yeah. Yeah. Horse feathers. <laughs> yeah. Horse feathers. Yeah. That means. How big would a horse feather be? Pretty darn big. <laughs> so, but yeah, milkweed. And, and of course, there's different milkweeds out there. You know, there's there's perennial milkweed, mm-hmm. the old-fashioned escaphalus that, you know, people plant not only for their beautiful bloom, but mostly for the butterflies in mind. And I've had so many, even people almost crusading mm-hmm. the point that. Don't ever plant the tropical milkweed because it is nothing but bad news for mm-hmm. monarchs. I'm like, how? I've never, how possibly? Yeah. I've heard the same thing. Yeah. Is it still horse feathers, Jim? Yeah, still horse feathers. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're good to go on that topic. Let's go to Kim from West Memphis. Good morning, Kim. Thanks for the call. Good morning, Veda. Good morning. Ken and Jim. And, <clears throat> and, you know, I'm going to tell you all, I don't see a single flaw on any of you. Oh, you're so wonderful, <laughs> Kim, especially since you don't see. See? <laughs> they took my eyes out when I was four years old. I had plastic eyes and butt. Yeah. But, you know, that's what I used to always tell Billy Graham and all the evangelists on the team. You know, in the morning, the men would say, how do I look? And I'd say, I don't see a single flaw. <laughs> <laughs> you're so and, nice, Miss Kim. And also, Kim, I know you have a birthday coming, so happy birthday, dear. Oh. And and Eddie has thought of a good gift for you. And Eddie, Eddie let me let me say this, Miss Kim. Eddie is the gentleman that usually would drive Miss Kim over to Memphis. I mean, Eddie and Kim are, are tied Eddie, to the hip. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, I, I, we try not to go to Memphis unless we have to. I understand. You know. Yes, ma'am. But for cleaning plastic eyes, we have to go twice a year. And Eddie's kind enough to take me. Yeah. But and so Eddie has a good idea for your birthday gift. You um, want to know what it is? I yes, most yes. definitely do. Yeah, we are going to vote Kenneth as president for one day since this is the election where nobody else is running for president. <laughs> Uh, so you get to run for, you get to be president for one day. Yes, <laughs> and I've already got two votes, Kim and Eddie. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so I just wanted to be sure and tell you happy birthday coming up. Miss Kim, the next time I see you, I'm going to give you a double hug because I'm telling you, you're the smartest young lady that I've ever met in my life and one Thank of the you. sweetest young ladies I've ever met in my life. But I'm telling you, 
You can't get anything past Miss Kim. Just and if you ever don't want her to know your birthday, you don't ever let her know because she'll never forget. But yes. Kim, but Kim, I'm taking that as a compliment. I love you to death, and I really appreciate you bringing it up. It is for a compliment, and we appreciate all of y'all. And I'm glad that Jim is back. Yes, oh, ma'am. Thank you very much. And Jim, you look no flaws on you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Kim, we love you to death. Give us a call anytime you want. I appreciate you bringing up my birthday, but it means I'm just a year older, which is not your fault. But, no. um, well, but the Lord, the Lord is our keeper, and I'm glad for every year we make it through. And I want to see a picture of the uh, vote for Kenneth sign in your front yard, okay? <laughs> okay, we got to make one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Miss Kim. Okay, okay. Thank you, babe. Thanks, Kim. Thank you. Um, well, you know, let's go to a break and you have been listening to the Mighty 990 Mm -hmm. and we'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you could be with us this morning. Where's my, is that some maracas playing? No, but she's dancing again, y'all. Lord, here she goes. How can you help? not have music move you. No, you can, but yeah. if you want to give us a call this morning, 260-5926, 260-5926, or of course, you can always go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and send us a text there. Mr. Jim is watching the screen carefully this morning. And Veda, as always, go listen to yeah. the podcast, kwmradio.com, anytime you want. All righty. Let's go to Jamie, the Master Gardener. Good morning, Jamie. You're in the garden. Good morning. It's great to see Jim back. Yeah, thank Jamie, you, thank you, buddy. Hey, listen, we're so glad Tickle Pink that he's feeling better. Uh, it's just, hey, it, it, me and Veda are just beside ourselves. I can tell you that. You're always <laughs> beside yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are, kind of. <laughs> so, Jamie, what about your world this morning? Look, I'm, I got a little spot out here about three times the size of your desk, I guess, you mm-hmm. all are sitting around. And I need to know about winter grasses. What, what would be a good place? And it's shady all the time. And would fescue be about the only thing it will grow? Well, the short answer is going to be yes. Um, but when people say shade, it's like anything else, Jamie. Shade is such a relative term, right? A lot right. of people love to put zoysia down in the shade. But there again, that's only if they're getting three or four hours of good, strong sun. And if you're getting only three hours of sun, a lot of people still call that a shady area. So a lot of people make the mistake they'll put zoysia down if they're not getting and they're not getting enough sun, Jamie, and then the two years later, the zoysia's gone. So if you've got an area, like you said, about twice as big as the table we're sitting around, and it's not getting at least three or four hours of good, strong sun, the only grass that's going to grow there is going to be some type of fescue. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, that's what I thought. I just thought, I was just hoping I'd miss something somewhere along the line. Right. Hoping they invented some new shade grass and yeah. you hadn't found out about it yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and but but you know around here though, Jamie, you know Bermuda, you know needs at least six hours of more. Even the most shade tolerant zoysia needs, you know, really three hours or more. But anything under that amount of sun, you've got to go with some type of fescue. And the best thing for you to do, Jamie, is go out there as soon as it dries up a little bit, scratch that area up, just rough it up really good, sow that seed out there. A pound of seed will cover about a hundred square feet. And then come back and either lightly scratch the seed in or come back and lightly cover the seed. Uh, Topsoil, peat moss, anything like that, and then keep it moist 
on a daily basis. It usually comes up in about 10 days, two weeks. I, I noticed uh, the neighbor planted some, and it was up. Well, it seemed like it didn't the next week. It, it, it did come back up. I mean, it is a pretty grass, too. I like, you know, it's, but the beauty of it is it will grow where those other grasses will not grow, yeah. period. I've seen some beautiful fescue lawns right now yeah. <laughs> because the weather is cooler at night. But that's the thing. And we can still put the seed out. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's what I was I was thinking. So anyway, I was hoping there was something you know, maybe you couldn't come along that I didn't know about. <laughs> no such luck, Mr. Jamie. Okay, you have a great day. It's good to have Jim back. Thank, Thank you, you buddy. Thanks, Jamie. Now let, let's let's clarify a little bit here, though. You know, if you've got a, a, a huge old oak tree out there that's never had anything growing under it, you're going to need to do more than scratch that mm-hmm. soil. You know, you need to get a core aerator in there and loosen that soil down three or four inches deep, or you're not going to get roots to go through three or four inches deep. So, you know, when it starts to get hot, if your roots are right at the surface, you're not going to be able to keep enough water on it. Mm-hmm. To keep it alive right. in the summertime. Because this tree has roots there, and they're going to suck every bit mm-hmm. of that water right. out, and it's going to die, and you're going to get mm-hmm. upset about it and go... Hate it forever. Right, and go say ugly things about Kenneth. <laughs> <Yeah. So. laughs> I, would, I would do like a very light layer of compost. That'll give it some some extra rooting powder power. Uh, core aerator. I would put the compost down and then do the aerator yeah. so I could kind of push some right. of that soil yeah. down in there. But yeah, like that's like, a great idea. But like y'all are saying, you got to create a, a a nice soil for the root zone. Right. Mm-hmm. And the root zone is definitely more than just a scratching. Now, if you have a you know a, a soft lawn area, you know, scratching it up and sowing the seed and scratching it in, that's just fine. Mm-hmm. But like Jim saying, you know, we're seeing a lot of this fescue being planted under these trees where nothing else grows. Yeah. You know, where they grow fescue for seed, the roots go six feet deep. Wow. You know, and fescue gets chest high when it's producing seed. So, you know, it it's a big plant, and we just dwarf it down here right. and mow it constantly. Uh, so you you really need to give it that root zone, or otherwise you're just kind of spitting into the wind. Yeah, right. I you have know, to agree. If you look how people are testing soils and all of that, researching and everything, and you can see where they, how do you, what is, ah, this is so easy to say, I can't even say it. Like you can look through a piece of glass, yeah. you know, it's got, and it shows all the different layers of, of soil, how it is on the earth, and then what good soil and bad soil. And you'll see roots that are a couple of feet long in this good soil. And then as it gets more and more into our clay soil, the roots are just shorter and shorter and shorter. Well, it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. like I was talking to a landscaper just the other day, and I'm not going to give his name because y'all all know him, but he's a great guy. <laughs> and uh, he truly is. And he made he was asked, he told me about um, there's a misconception of soil amendments, okay? And what I mean by that is, yes, we do have clay soil. And Jim always says that's one of the best soils mm-hmm. you can put your hands in, Right. But we still have to amend our clay, typically just to create drainage. That's why we're doing it, okay? When he, a lot of times when this landscaper plants things, he, he doesn't amend the soil at all. He will dig the hole just as deep and twice as wide. Just loosen it. And he'll loosen that soil, he'll plant, and he'll put some compost on the top, mm-hmm. okay? Where we see a lot of people, they'll do two things. They'll dig a hole and replace every bit of that native soil with something else. That is a huge, big-time no-no. Or we'll also see where they're really just putting too much composted material mm-hmm. in with their native soil, working it in before we come back and plant. You really only need about anywhere from 12 
to 20% of organic matter in a hole that we dig for a tree or a shrub that we plant. The majority of that soil we need is native soil. Just like y'all were just talking about, you go in there and replace all that clay with just foreign soil, yeah, you're going to have a great little root system right there in that little hole that you dug, mm-hmm. but the roots are not going to venture out into that clay at all. You know, I, I've told the story <laughs> before, but Dr. Carl Whitcomb, the guy who's developed most of the, the new crepe myrtles, uh, Red Rocket and, right. and all of those, he did some research over at Oklahoma where they took and dug 10 identical holes, mm. uh, and then they added different amounts of organic matter different things into it and one a control all they did was loosen the soil mm. and then they planted of course this was years ago they planted bradford pears in each one of them to see how they would grow and i hope they all died well after three years they pulled them out and what they did was they weighed the wood they counted the leaves they measured the the moisture in it and looked at the root development and the one that performed the best was the one that had nothing added to the soil, just had the soil loosened. Wow. And that tells you, you know, creating those spaces just temporarily for those roots to get out of that is the most important thing. That, Adding a little bit of organic matter gives you place for bacteria to grow, fungus to grow, mm-hmm. gets you established. But The, the reason, good bacteria and the good fungus. Right. Yeah. The reason we're not digging any deeper than the that root ball is because they're not going to go down mm-hmm. not in our clay right, they're, right. they're going to go sideways. sideways and we want it our that hole shaped like a bowl so we push those roots back to the surface and beta always says also you don't want a slick wall in the hole you want to have that That's hole right. you know kind of notched down if you yeah. will just but take now, that shovel and, and chop it and i'm not sides. advocating here in shelby county because we have so much clay here i'm not advocating that you don't add organic matter to anything that you're planting, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it is really very clay. But I'm just saying you do not replace your native soil with some other soil when you're right. planting. A lot of people think it's the best thing in the world to do yeah, that. Yeah, you think. But, but, but it's actually it's counterproductive. And we wouldn't go even 50% no. compost nope. with clay. Yeah, don't do half and mm-hmm. half either. Okay, so what if we're doing the cherry tree? It's got to have, it better have good drainage. <laughs> And those are the things where I'm adding soil conditioner or, you know, which is ground up pine bark. Maybe a little bit of garden soil in there. I am still going to amend my soil. I'm Ele- dig- elevation, though, yep, is I'm, key. I'm going to dig my hole the right <laughs> way, but I'm going to plant that tree above grade, mm-hmm. you know. You are actually going to, by loosening your soil, you're going to, this is going to sound weird, you're going to slow the drainage. By loosening your by soil. By creating more airspace in it so that water mm-hmm. can fill up yeah. in it. Your percolation rate remains the same down at the bottom of that hole. So it will hold water, more water, longer than it will if you did nothing. All right. See, (laughs) I know. (laughs) He'll have to, Uh you know, I told him the last time he told me, you know, talking about gravel in the bottom of a pot. Uh And I explained that to my mother, how we got into a big fight about it. And it was all his fault. Mm -hmm. Well, now he thinks I'm going to explain that one to my mom. Right, right. uh, I have a container, a glass container. I just did that this week where I put some gravel in it. And then I put some soil in it, and then I put some moss on top. Right. And I do. I want to see how it how it all percolates and works together. I'm doing like a science project on the uh, in the glass container right. because a, a lot of 
because I mean that's like a terrarium thing. Too, oh sure, especially if I put a lid on it. But so, but, but I just want to see the everything that happens. Well, but I mean, drainage is a big deal. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, and the things and cherries. You mentioned the cherries, the auto looking laurels, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about those later on. I mean, there are certain things that azaleas, dogwoods. I mean, really everything if you think about it. You've got to have other than the natives here, right? Well, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But the, that have evolved to grow in this muck. <laughs> but we're but we're not exactly. So so yes, I still am a firm believer in digging the hole the right way. I'm a firm believer in adding some compost, no more than twenty percent, uh, to our native soil. And I'm always uh, wanting to plant the root ball just a little above grade, and then coming back and mulching everything in. And all of that improves the drainage, okay? And that's really the only reason I'm doing it mm-hmm. is because of the, the poor drainage we yeah. get just in our native clay soil. Right. Now, you'll still kill some plants by doing that because some plants absolutely will not tolerate that percentage of their soil being wet. Mm-hmm. That's where we have to plant a lot of perennials, things like digitalis in an elevated bed so that there's absolutely no water standing around the roots. Mm-hmm. And over a course of three or four years, as your soil begins to break down, yeah. you'll see those perennials begin to fade. So, yeah, we're All not right. done with this discussion. No, Jim's going to have to really explain <laughs> that one to me off air, okay? Oh, sounds like a plan. Okay, y'all, just uh, give us a call, 260-5926. We'll be right back. Morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid South Gardening. Glad y'all could join us this morning. Yeah. So let's see. We're on. What topic are we on? And David from Olive Branch, hang on just one second. We were talking we about to... soil issues there and, and how to how to create drainage. So so the bottom line is dig your hole just as deep as the root ball, twice as wide. Make sure the the side of the hole, the sides are not just slick as glass. Have them notched in, notched out, whatever. Um, and only don't you really use more than twenty percent organic matter to mix into your clay soil when you are amending your mm-hmm. soil? Like I said, I, I love amending the soil. There's no doubt about it. But I don't want to go overboard with the amendments, and you surely don't want it to replace your native soil when you're planting any tree and shrub. And like Jim and Veda always say, the most important thing is the most important thing when you're planting trees and shrubs is to have a little bit of that root ball elevated above ground level. And then you can come back and lightly mulch that in, but that's where you get the oxygen to the roots. And if you have, if you plant trees or shrubs deep, and you have a lot of uh, soil on top of that root ball, it's not. It's just a kiss right. of death. Well, yeah, like I was telling them on the break, when I did the landscaping thing for a while, out of a um, landscape bed in front of the house, right? We pocket planted everything, which means we didn't till all the soil up. We didn't make this big fluffy bed. We planted the shrubs with using the amendments, but right. just in the native soil. Then we also planted it a little higher. So right. when you put your mulch around it, right. then you're at... Uh, almost a, at ground level. Yeah, yeah, almost at ground level. Or mulch level. Right. Now, if you were going to uh, incorporate perennials and annuals, that would be a whole different soil prep. Right. But just for the shrubs like St. John's wort and hollies and, and azaleas, and whatever. yeah, then, then we just planted each right. one with some soil amendment 
left a root ball above grade right. and then mulched to make it all even. That's the way to do it. Uh, let's go to David from Olive Branch. Good morning, David. Thanks for the call. Hey, good morning. How y'all doing? This We're morning? great, David. Good morning to you. Hey, quick question for you. I had uh, two 20-foot trees planted a week ago yesterday. Uh, one front, one backyard. Um, they dug it right, uh, got the right soil amendments. Question is, is there any fertilizer I could put in the ground uh, by the root now that will help me for winter into spring? Well, uh, I would say root stimulator and compost. Yeah, I, I have no trouble fertilizing them at all, you know, with whatever you might happen to have. Uh, you could use a Mosmocote, put it in there. Our ground temperature is going to be warm enough on up till Christmas, basically, for surface to release fertilizer. And trees get a, a fair amount of benefit from getting a fall or really early winter feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because, you know, think about it, the sap starts rising in January and February. You know, and that sap's got to get up to the to the buds to to make them pop new growth next spring. So by having the fertilizer down there and the sun hitting it daily, warming it, you know, even though down three or four inches it may be 50 degrees or so, the surface temperature, though, is what's going to release that fertilizer, and the bacteria is going to grow, and it's going to make it available. So, you know, you can broadcast it right on top of the ground. Uh, just, you know, and it doesn't matter what it is. Just don't let it see the label. If you got rose seed, throw it down. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So. Yeah, and, but but also, uh, Veda mentioned, David, a root stimulator. It, that is actually a liquid product. It's got two. It's got a plant food, but it also has a hormone in there that stimulates good root growth. And I love getting a root stimulator, mixing it with water, and saturating that root ball once a week for about a month, and then coming back in early March and doing it again. And like I said, that's got a little bit of fertilizer added to it. But like Jim was saying, a good, you know, whether it's tree tone, which is completely organic, uh, or something like Osmocote uh, that doesn't work in cold soil temperatures. Mm-hmm. But, Jim, you said it'll work until December right. anyway. Probably, yeah. Our yeah. soil's definitely going to be warm. And yeah. like Jim said, if you uh, if the tree can't read, you know, put some rose food or whatever you have around it, David. It's all good, I'm telling you. Okay. I, now, uh, I, Osmocote is, uh, they're pellets, right? Yes, yeah, and it's broken down by water and bacteria, okay? When the soil temperature is the surface is around 60 degrees, the bacteria will actually eat through those little pellets and release microdoses of fertilizer. So it's, okay. it's a good thing to put just right on the surface. Uh, another thing I like to use are agroform tablets on a new tree like that. You can get them, buy them individually at like most garden centers, and uh, it'll feed up to about two years. Uh, and you just poke them in the whole ground and leave them there, and rain t- does all the rest for yeah. you. Okay, guys, as always, thank you very much. Very insightful. Appreciate all right. it. Thanks for the call. Thanks, David. Yeah, so you're not going to use anything that's going to make growth happen and real yeah, fast. And, and it's, not, it's not going yeah, to. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. You know, the vast majority of the tree's root system is going to be down in the cool mm-hmm. ground. Yeah. yeah, it's just the feeder roots right at the surface that are going to mm-hmm. get some benefit from that fertilizer. Now, what about the watering on a twenty-foot tree like that? I mean, typically in the fall and winter, you know, we got cooler temperatures. We usually get those timely rains. You know, it's not like it's middle of summer, especially the summer that we just went through. So, I guess David still has to pay attention though to the water. Uh, and if we don't get rain for a couple of weeks, go out there and soak those mm-hmm. things. Uh, but typically, we do get the fair amount of moisture. Yeah fall and winter so that's usually not much of a problem well you know we're talking about using root stimulators which 
Um, <laughs> if you're using natural ones, they have some hormones in it, but mostly the rooting hormones. Uh, where I'm going with this is I was, there's so many people that are scared of hormones now and especially the younger generation coming up and they couldn't, did not want to use a rooting stimulator because it's hormones Mm -hmm. and thinking that's going to be something bad. So there's going to be a lot of interpreting going on as the younger generations coming up through the garden industry. I hardly even see young well, people. There are man-made hormones. In, uh, in this case, root stimulators got what, mm-hmm. what endo three butyric acid, something mm-hmm. like that, Jim, which I don't even know what that means, but it's, it's a hormone. A, it's a plant hormone though. Mm-hmm. It's what right. stimulates. That was my point. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, exactly. there, there are natural hormones out there. But so. they still just hear the word hormone and just... If there weren't hormones, <laughs> the plant would not grow right. at all. They just cut it off. They just cut it off. Hormones they, are what make your plant turn towards the window. Yeah, okay. exactly. Because yeah. they don't like sunlight. They move around on the shady side, which causes mm-hmm. those cells to elongate and it turns towards the window. Uh, pretty amazing yeah. if you think Isn't about it. it? Right. Oh, you know, which then makes me think of... Um, because like you're talking about houseplants inside and, and we always say, turn them every time you water, turn them, turn your plants. Well, there's another reason to do that too, besides, you know, getting even sunlight and all is if you're not turning your plants when you're watering, you seem to always water in the exact same spot. That would be true in my case, for sure. So then therefore you can have plant problems because one side's wetter than the other side always. Uh, so their side's st- su- not suffering, but getting moisture. And then the side that you're watering at all the time, it's holding it longer. And I'm finding this out with uh, things like the yucca stumps that have three canes in a pot right. or the dracaena. Right. And the way I learned this is as one section, one of the girls wasn't turning the plants for uh, ever. And, and most of us don't, right, honestly. exactly. Mm. And I kept wondering... Because uh, I wasn't pushing it real hard, you know, because we're not leaving the plants in stock long enough to really need to turn them all the but time. But for someone that has that. a plant in their house, they're going to keep for years. Yeah, and then you're watering, and it seemed like all the time one of the canes would die. Out of three canes, mm. one would die. And then you could look in the pot and see where where you were constantly watering right in that section. Good Lord. So turning the plant also helps keep um, moisture throughout the entire root ball. Well, I know we've only got another minute, but... Uh, and I know we let's, got let's hit one question here real quick. Yeah. Uh, Marty Kaiser uh, sent us one in here. Uh, says, do you recommend cutting back ornamental grasses? Uh, do, not now. I mean, it, it, to me, I think it's a matter of preference. You know, there are ornamental grasses out there that people never, ever cut back. Mm-hmm. You still get the new growth in the spring, but you have all that brown, which I don't like. So I like to go out there, like Veda just said, not mm-hmm. yet. Go out there in mid-February, early March. Mm-hmm. Cut those things back. So then the only thing that we're going to see is that new green growth in the spring and not all that yeah. brown stuff from through the winter yeah so it, right now spray paint them purple right but I'll, press your neighbors yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> or but chartreuse you do, you do green <laughs> and, and red for christmas but yeah i like to keep i mean i think it's healthier to keep the uh foliage on until through the next, winter through the winter you know it's good places for chickadees to to be or beneficial insects and and it's pretty interesting well, but in the also in the fall and marty's a good guy but also <laughs> i i like the idea of keeping the foliage there and not cutting that stuff down you know say six inches mm-hmm. off the ground or 12 inches off the ground because I think the plant is more insulated through right, the winter right. by and, and waiting you, to cut it back. And you don't get water down in the hollow stems, yeah. which gets way down into the plant. And you'll get dieback, root rot, and everything else from that. So 
Marty, just leave it alone for now. But I do like the idea of going in there and cutting them back early March. You just really have to cut them back, I think, because they just don't grow out properly, it yeah, seems. Yeah, and we've all seen the big pompous grasses mm-hmm. that no one has ever cut back. Yeah. And you got just as much brown tissue in those as you do green tissue you know, in the spring. And it, it's just not the look that I'm looking for. Right. All right, we're going to head to a break. And y'all get, give us your... Give us some calls. Yeah, give us your... 2605926. We'll be right back. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We've got a Facebook texter question. Jim, we had a question from uh, Audrey Fielding who wants to know about what's a mealy bug look like because uh, when she was hanging lights on her crepe myrtle, uh, is this Christmas already? I know, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> some, some small black flying bugs flew out. Well, they're not mealy bugs, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. No, the mealy bug is that, and it's just, I hate to even think about a mealy bug because I hate them that much. It's a, it's a little fuzzy little thing that usually is in the, you know, the crotch of the limbs, um, you know, in uh, it's fuzzy. Yeah, they're they're but just the thing white, with, white. They're yeah. white and, and fuzzy looking. I'm telling you, and usually you don't <laughs> see just one, you see Are they fuzzy? They're fuzzy. Okay. Yeah, they've got this little fuzz. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, now the mealy bug destroyer that we were talking about earlier. That is a beneficial insect. It's a bigger insect than a mealy bug. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a uh, much more mobile. That's a, that thing can move up and down the trunk of a crate myrtle in no time. Kinda, I mean, it's like this looks little, like a white fuzzy roly poly. It right. does. That's yeah. a good explanation. It does, yeah. and it thing moves around. So the mealy bug destroyer. A lot of times when we see those, we're like, "Ooh, we got to get mm-hmm. rid of this thing," and we do. You know, we spray in and we're killing that beneficial insect. But the mealy bug itself, you man, you can get those on house plants and in outdoor yeah. plants. I mean, they're. But the mealy bug also, they're actually not the easiest insect to get rid of. Uh, it's not something you can go out there typically and just spray one time and get rid of them. It usually takes multiple applications, or you have to use some type of systemic uh, to kill them from the inside out. But uh, anything that's black and flying out of the crepe myrtle is not going to be a mealybug. Yeah, more likely a fungus gnat feeding on the sooty mold and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the stickies. Yeah. yeah. I got caught talking to a mealybug destroyer under a crepe myrtle the other day. And I hope no one saw that. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the whole thing about Did he this. Talk back? Yeah, no. that's all that matters. <laughs> I wish he, I hope he understood me. Okay, here's the whole thing. We've got, there are crepe myrtles that have crepe myrtle bark scale. Right. And at work, uh, so I am going to do the systemic later. But the drench you talked about that you mix and pour, yeah. yeah. There was a couple of mealy bug destroyers in the scale department, <laughs> just hanging out trying to do their thing, eat and get rid of them. The problem is there's just not enough, and that's the issue, right? Right. You know. But I'm telling this mealy bug, you got to go somewhere else because I don't want to kill any beneficials. Yeah. But um. There's yeah. just not enough. And they might not even be on there next January or February right. when you're pouring that. that drench around the crepe myrtle. And, you know, in the Orient where this uh, scale originated from, there are enough uh, beneficials to keep it in check. Mm-hmm. It's not an issue there. Mm-hmm. But when we got over here, we didn't have anything initially that was feeding Because on. it was a brand new insect yeah. that right. was introduced to our country. Right. And then mealybug destroyers showed up. But again, they're not 
in populations usually uh, dense enough to do significant right. Yeah give you significant control control Control. Control. yeah Yeah. right and so this is one of those cases where you can't say leave things alone because let mother Mother nature take care of it care of it yeah Yeah. because like i said i'm looking at these few millibug destroyers and then looking at all the scale and the crepe myrtles down and i'm checking all of them was there more destroyers you know and i'm going there's no way that a beneficial can eradicate all yeah and and in audrey's case you know she has you know black bugs flying out of the crepe myrtle that's really probably nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. Really, the two biggest issues when it comes to insects, for the most part on crate myrtles, is the crate myrtle bark scale that we've been talking about and then the aphids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I see the crate myrtle bark scale majority of the time. Like these crate myrtles, I, I would say it's um, too much shade. They're under stress. Yeah, so, so they're under stress somewhat. And then this is kind of where I think people get into the maybe planting the natives or choosing your plants differently if you're absolutely not wanting to ever use any chemicals then don't ever plant a crepe myrtle you know and then that way you don't have to use the chemicals so there's that thought process yeah but But i mean and you're right i mean it's almost invariable that you're going to get crepe myrtle bark scale if you plant a crepe myrtle Mm Uh, now, I don't think it is quite as bad now no. as it was, you know, seven or eight years ago when it first hit uh, the crate myrtles here in the United States because people know what it is now. They're controlling it with the, you know, the tree and shrub insect drench. So it's not as much out there. It's still out there. But see, I wouldn't ever have the mindset of not ever planting a crepe myrtle just because I might get crepe myrtle bark scale. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so it's all in the the type of process or the type of gardening someone wants to do. There are some people that want actually hands-off gardening, completely mm-hmm. hands-off. In yeah. fact, remember when crepe myrtle bark scale <clears throat> first started becoming a problem, a lot of people got the chainsaws and just mm-hmm. cut their crepe myrtles down. Yeah. Now, looking back, you know, I think that was a little harsh, but there are some people that they know they're not going to go out there and drench mm-hmm. these crepe myrtles, you know, every year or every two years, whatever it takes. So they just cut them down. Yeah. Well, you know, like that interactive garden that I've been creating for uh, this uh, family that has the kids, then we're like checking each, going. Th- they're going through each plant and all, or telling me don't, like don't plant a crepe myrtle if we're going to have to uh, <laughs> use insecticide or whatever, just because their their kids are just in it all the time and so this is how they feel about gardening and all and the way that i'm keeping them from having to use so many pesticides is just don't plant it or just dig it up if it's causing issues let's just dig it up and replace it with something else instead because like there was a crepe they wanted to try the crepe myrtle mm-hmm. which i love so them. i mean we, i love crepe it myrtles. was a, this was going to be a small bush one and, of course, they weren't able to water it enough. And so it got the crepe myrtle bark scale. And so what we did, I said, let's just replace it with something different because the product to cure the scale is going to cost just as much as this five-gallon plant to replace the crepe myrtle and have something that's more beneficial to them in terms of an edible that. garden sure. or a cut flower thing. So in that case, it's a choice in your plant. Absolutely. And, Jim, I tell you what, Veda, to me, though, there's still nothing worse looking than a crepe myrtle that has been, I mean, just inundated with crepe myrtle bark scale. And then you get the black sooty mold all over it. You might as well go ahead and cut Mm -hmm. that thing down if you're never going to try to treat it because they make them look horrible. It is. Definitely. You can tell that 
uh, insects are there to eradicate plants that are under stress. Yeah. All right, guys, the house plant of the week. What is your fave this week? It's the Birkin philodendron. And why do I say that, Miss Veda? Why? It's... It, it is a. I, t- I was walking by one the other day, and I mm-hmm. stopped honestly, and I said, "Man, what is this thing?" And the young lady told me it's a Birkin philodendron. But what caught my eye is this thing has you know pretty big, wide leaves on it. Yeah. But it's it's got those white pinstripes mm-hmm. in that foliage that is just eye stopping. Yeah. I'm telling you, it it is a beautiful variegated right. house plant. So I started reading about them last night. Um, and you, did you know that philodendron means uh, tree lover in Greek? Oh, cute. It does. Because it climbs up trees. Some of them do. But not the birkin. Not the birkin. It's more of a little uh, shrub type. Yeah. Um, you know, and they did not exist in the wild, and they came to be because of a mutation, which a lot of these houseplants, that's what happens. You'll mm-hmm. get a mutation off of a philodendron. And this one, I think it was the uh, Rogo Congo philodendron. Rojo, yeah. Right. And this was a, a mutation off of that particular philodendron. Mm-hmm. So they t- took the mutation off and started propagating it, okay? And they this is the propagation that they're coming out with. So all these uh, these Birkin philodendrons, they're all propagated. You know, yeah. they're not out there naturally. I mean, they all came from the sport of another philodendron. But I'm telling you guys, you know, for everybody out there that loves houseplants, and most people already probably have one of these things, but it just, it really caught my eye. But uh, take a look at these Birkin philodendrons. I mean, the foliage on them are absolutely beautiful, Veda. You oh, know yeah, more about yeah. them than I, I do. I love that one. I love, love, love but it. I and like, then some of them don't have the stripes on them. Really? Yeah. Well, but see, to me... I was saddened by that. Yeah, I mean... I didn't check when I was ordering. No, you want the ones with the stripes. I like the the ones with the stripes. All right, y'all, hang on. We'll be back to do our third hour. Y'all can call us 260-5926. You're listening to KWAM 990 AM News Talk 107.9. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to... The third hour of Mid-South Gardening. I'm Veda with Palladio Garden in Memphis. Yes, ma'am. And I'm Kenneth Mabry with Dan West Garden Centers. And we've got... And I'm Jim Crowder. I am the administrator of the wonderful Facebook group Mid-South Garden. It is. It well, is. Speaking of, there was... I just told you all these title things I want to talk about. But I'm going to start off with something I didn't even say. Absolutely. Um, I was looking at the Foliage Friday that mm-hmm. is on the Mid-South Garden page. And you have a agave... Yeah, that's a whale's tongue agave. Yeah. Okay, so now I have two mangavies. Mm-hmm. That's what they're called, mangavies. Mm-hmm. They originally were thought to be a cross between a, a, a um, manfreda and an agave, but that's probably not true. They're Gosh. actually now all called agaves, I think. Oh, yeah. Everything yeah, changes so So the much. ones y'all are talking about is the really big, widely flat-looking. The one that I've got that's the mangave is a Thinly, okay, but, I but mean, is yeah. that hardy? No, uh, probably not. Yes. I mean, a mild winter maybe, but yeah. here it's it's probably not. I didn't. If think you've been so. out to the coastal seafood, that big agave, yeah, that's mm-hmm. a whale's tongue. Okay, 
Yeah, I I've planted one last year, and it was uh, it was basically a four inch pot, and it had about a three inch span on it. And it's up this year; it's grown quite a bit. It's probably eight to ten inches wide. And you'll just leave it out there, Jim. Yeah, and that but I planted it particularly the way I planted it. It faces west, okay. and on the east side of it, I put a huge rock and mounded soil up to it. So when the sun comes up in the morning, it heats that rock mm-hmm. and keeps that soil from staying cold for very long. Uh, and it's done quite well there. Right. It's that microenvironment you just yep. created. Exactly. Right. So that's where knowing your plants can help you grow things that maybe not grow here so well yeah you know and they've lost a couple of them they had a whole bunch of them out there at coastal and uh, they're just a couple left now because they are they're kind of iffy here but it's but it's still fun to do that yeah Yeah. it is a zone seven plant i mean in theory but again it's uh, what kills Mm -hmm. them here is what kills a lot of our cacti is winter wet yeah you know, yeah. it's not just the cold. No, if they don't have good drainage, you're probably not going to get them to survive. It's the cold, wet mm-hmm. that gets yep. them. Yep, and those planted out there are flat on the ground and just is, you know, surrounded by concrete yep. and grass. And, yeah. you know, it's just a matter of time. I think. See, that's what I was hoping I could possibly do with the mangavi is find a good um, spot that's by the wall. I didn't think about adding a rock mm-hmm. also. Everything I can, and in the sunniest spot. Yeah. Everything I could do to just keep that soil, keep it warm right there. But I have also kept it inside through the winter. Well, that was going to be my That's question. What so if you bad. try to keep them inside? Yeah. You could, you know, but they do need some cool, okay? Yeah. They need a little mm-hmm. period of dormancy. Uh, also have planted not far from it. What I did, I have a little area that I created a cacti bed, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a, um, it's called a spoon yucca. It has very thin leaves, but it grows up on a stem, huge, and then has this perfectly round hundreds of little thin leaves that come off of it. Oh, that sounds, I it, love that. It's really yeah. a spectacular looking plant. And it's it has jumped this year. It has really grown <laughs> a lot. Well, you know, so. plants like like that um, or some, what am I trying to say? Like the mangavi would, it's still going to be okay outside for a good amount of time. Oh, yeah. But when we're, but if I, I'm keeping it in a pot and when we're getting like below freezing and freezing temperatures for a long time i'm just going to move it into only because it's in a pot correct yeah before or in the fact that it's not hardy okay carol and i went to gatlinburg a few weeks back and before i left i moved all the tropicals everything into the garage at where my son is living now um and he's living in the garage well no he's living in the house (laughs) i'm living over the garage yeah (laughs) how does that happen (laughs) it didn't work out the way i thought um but anyway got them all in there but as soon as we got back i mean we've had this long spell so i went over pulled everything back all the big plants back out on the driveway only in uh, Memphis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it uh, looks well, like we're going to have a 34, 32 to 34 next Saturday. Yeah. Right. So, But yeah. we've got another week of just really, really mm-hmm. wonderful weather. I, I don't ever remember there being a fall this long in Memphis. Oh, it's Same. beautiful. And yeah. me and a lady, we're, we were talking about this yesterday, how... Mm-hmm. I think if anybody in the world deserves the fall that we're having, <laughs> it's, it, it's us. I mean, because this this past summer that we went through, I mean, it we had two or three weeks of decent weather in the spring. And mm-hmm. I mean, since then, it was 108 degrees and no rain, right. a drought, hot. 
it was brutal. It was. And to finally get some relief, you know, as far as fall temperatures. We and were some, hurting for a minute because we weren't <sighs> getting the rain, but. Oh, I mean. Now it's all yeah, good. Yeah. So, you know, even though it's raining this morning, it is a mm-hmm. Saturday and I hate rain on the weekends. I'm not complaining. And I've, you know, I've said this yeah. for years now. I think I'm just going to stop complaining about any rain that we ever get because it seems like sometimes we just never get mm-hmm. it. Can I get that in writing? No, right, right. no, no. So, uh, like, um, go ahead, Jim. Uh, we have a question here um, from Wendy Johnson. She says they have two large oak trees, 7,500 years old. Old. We would like to plant under them. There are some surface roots exposed. We don't want to harm these beauties. Mm-hmm. How should we prepare the soil, and what would you suggest we plant in the dry shade? Okay. Well, man, that's kind of scary under big, huge, old oak trees. But if we don't cover the entire area with thick soil, you'll be okay with that. Hold on. What do you mean by that? You know, like some people want to make beds and plant underneath trees. So they put inches and inches of soil to I mean, make it good and easy to plant Can't in. we go four inches at one time, though, up under a tree? I, I would not over the entire area. Of course, yeah. remember, you're planting, most people are planting around the trunk of the tree. directly or, under the tree. Right. Mm-hmm. Where your roots, as we remember we talked about earlier, they're two and a half times they the width They go well beyond that, that drip line. Right. Yeah. They're out 100 feet in each direction. So, I yeah. mean, so I've always heard, and I don't know if this is true, but I've always heard that you can go, if you want to add soil up under this tree to create somewhat of a raised bed, uh, that you can add uh, around four inches of soil and not hurt the tree. But I would never go more than four inches. And you can come out 10 feet, 12 feet or so with that. Don't let it touch the trunk. That's Mm -hmm. the key thing. You don't want that bark to stay wet. All right, right. What about getting a mini tiller and tilling under this tree? It, it ain't happening. It's going to yeah. jog your brain. Yeah. Out. Okay. Because <laughs> it's going to catch all the things <laughs> right. in the tines. Yeah. What you yeah. can use, though, are the core aerators. Okay. They're going to bounce off the, the big roots. Earlier. Yeah. Okay. And they're going to go in there. And, and what I would do, like, like uh, Veda said, is go in there and spread a couple of inches of good organic matter there and then run that thing over it. 25 times go back and forth 125 times with the core area to drive that stuff into Mm -hmm. the ground and it pulls out soil at the same time and then when it rains it will settle back in and then go in and just do site preparation Mm -hmm. some Mm -hmm. good things to plant under there you know if you want something evergreen autumn ferns they'll compete Mm -hmm. quite well with that tree love them linton rose yeah linton rose because the roots are so thick you don't have a whole lot of trouble with voles up underneath the Mm -hmm. tree so you can do some hostas, but if you're worried, you know, do a little a cage around them when you plant them. Uh, but there are lots of stuff that you can put up underneath the there that hookera. like that. Euchra loves Jeez, it. But, <laughs> but get euchra that are velosa hybrids, mm-hmm. okay? I, I, and I know why, but go ahead. Why, they're, Jim? They're native to southeast United States. They like our heat here. They're, most of them are evergreen, mm-hmm. and they'll survive. Where if you put some of these really purple pretty ones in there, they are going <laughs> downhill know. in a they sure do. And there's so many heuchera on the right. market now. Mm-hmm. But the Velosa varieties, like you said, Jim, and you can Google what varieties are right. under that category. Citronella, one of the yes. best pretty lime green. It's a Velosa. It will be uh-huh. evergreen through the winter for you. Yes. Just Agreed. It's spectacular. Now, but what, we're not getting any luck with the purples. Well, you know, maybe in a container, very, sort of. But in, in containers, I've had fairly good luck. Yeah. But because you get 
perfect drainage. Yeah. Okay? Right, right. But, you know, in the ground, they'll last a year sometimes, yeah. uh, and then they just begin to thin out and not. Caramel, yeah. mega caramel, yes, which is great. one of my favorites, uh-huh. has huge leaves yeah. on yes, it. Yes, it does. Uh, and, and it does quite well. Evergreen most years. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's a good plant. And, and then also, there's always the ground covers. You yeah. know, whether it's the ivy that you're putting mm-hmm. under there, the pachysandra, the, Asiatic mon- jasmine. the mondo grass. Yeah. Any, most of those ground covers will perform really well up under the canopy of these big mm-hmm. trees. Right. Mm-hmm. So, basically, let's not do compost around the entire trees. Um, the core aerator is good to loosen your soil versus a tiller. And you can build the soil up a little bit, yeah, but no, no more than four inches, though, at one time. Right. And, and, yeah, it makes sense. Don't try to maybe plant a seven-gallon under the tree. Uh, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but use smaller plants because they're going to grow. And That's I right. think perennials, in this case, instead of mm-hmm. big shrubs, are really the way to go. The yeah. perennials that y'all were just mentioning, you right. can still have a beautiful bed up under these trees without having big shrubs up under there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, you're right. The autumn fern's fantastic. Just just go with autumn fern. There. And then cast iron plants. Yes, cast iron plants would, is a great yeah, one. Yeah, that would work fantastic, too. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, what else? Dry shade. Oh, like... Um, I like Hakoni grass, the uh, Japanese forest grass. Do you think that one's more dry than wet? Uh, All gold is the only one that Mm -hmm. I've tried four different varieties, and it's the only one that has survived Mm -hmm. long term. I've had it now for 15 years. Really? Yeah. Because I love that Japanese grass, but I got discouraged with it. Yeah. So all gold. Yeah, y'all look for Japanese grass. That's fantastic because it's low. It's I low. I did plant it one area before. It lasted a good amount of time, but then I have never seen that place It again. almost looks like a dwarf bamboo to me. The foliage does, but it, it's a it beautiful does. grass. Bright lemon, and, and it puts on a seed head that is moves in the wind. It's really pretty oh, in the fall. Nice. I love it. Okay, one more break. And give us a call, 260-5926. You're listening to 990 AM News Talk 107.9. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You're listening to Mid-South Gardening. You are. I'm Veda with Palladio. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim. And so, he's Jim. Um, and Jim. Jim's back, thank goodness. Veda, yeah. so glad to be Jim. back. Um, and he's feeling good, too, we hope. Yeah, had a few health issues uh, and uh, got at least some of them behind me. So. <laughs> there you go. Yay! All right. Um, you know, woodpeckers. I love woodpeckers. They're so cute and precious. And Do you like people... the yellow-bellied sapsucker also? Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you that why you shouldn't, but go belly, ahead. Yellow-bellied sapsucker. Yeah. But you know what? Because they're exposing the uh, sap from the tree, that gives hummingbirds a little extra energy in the winter. But I'm going to tell you what also, Veda, why mm-hmm. I don't think they're so attractive. Other than the bird itself, they look fine. Woodpeckers I have no problem with. Yeah. But these yellow-bellied sapsuckers, let's say if you've got a nice holly tree growing on either side of your porch, okay? Mm-hmm. And let's say the trunk is about eight inches in circumference. There's nothing more appetizing than a holly trunk yeah. to a yellow-bellied sapsucker. And they'll go in there and start pecking these grids mm-hmm. in the trunk of this holly. Yeah. And the beauty of it is they'll come back every year. Mm-hmm. You know, they like to go yeah. back to that same holly. So you've yep. seen people come in here like... What is going on with my holly, and why is this thing dying, and why do I have all these grid yeah. marks, like something's gnawed little holes in? It's a yellow-bellied yeah. sapsucker. And it'll take a while, but it will kill the oh, tree it will. because it'll <laughs> just 
kill the tree. But it takes a while. But then again, that's where we're not in nature. We're in a uh, environment that we can't let nature do its thing. But so what, you kind of got to keep. The I understand. But what were you going to say away. about woodpeckers, though? What oh, are, well, okay. So woodpeckers, they they. Um, do drill holes out in their tree in the trees to live usually dead trees yeah usually yeah. dead trees and then also the uh, lots of other critters that cannot bore into trees because they don't have the bill like a woodpecker will live in those areas so oh. woodpeckers are also creating an environment habitat. For, yeah habitat for other things but what do we do we can't attract woodpeckers in our suburban areas i mean the sapsuckers yeah Yeah. because there's no dead trees we're leaving Mm -hmm. no dead trees up so then we're taking away the habitat for the woodpeckers and that takes away the habitat for even some birds (laughs) you know will live in them so that's that's the one thing that you get kind of well but there are still pockets of like i've had woods on the side of my house you know beyond my backyard is Mm -hmm. is woods and hopefully it'll stay that way you know forever but i know eventually it won't won't. i know that the and there are dead trees up there. Yeah. There are big trees laying on the ground, and I hear owls back there. So mm-hmm. you know, an yeah, owl, owls live in the woodpecker. Right. So an owl's yeah. not going to peck a hole. I mean, right. you know, to, to create a home. I mean, the woodpeckers do for it, do it for them. Mm-hmm. But I, I th- I'm sure we hope there will always be these pockets of woodland areas where you can still have the the natural setting for all of these birds. And that's up to us humans to make sure those areas are left. Let's hope so. Which is, I think we're evolving that way, mm. you know, but like new neighborhoods and all, people don't seem to be planting as many trees in the newer areas because they're afraid they're going to fall on their house. They're going to have to spend so much money keeping them in order. But if you plant a tree and you start growing up with your tree and you start pruning as it grows, you're not going to have a big, huge tree that's got a lot of limbs that they have to start taking out, taking out yearly. No, I have to agree, Jim, and you know this. I mean, the tree is the biggest plant that you're going to have in your landscape. And it takes maintenance. I mean, you, you can't just plant, let's say, an oak tree, for example, and never, ever, ever think that you're not going to have to have some type of maintenance mm-hmm. done to that oak tree. No, it might take years and years before you need some limbs maybe selectively mm-hmm. taken out of there right. or a limb going over the side of your house. But, but the most, don't wait till it gets huge to have something done. Do something to it as it progressively gets older. Yeah, you know, I agree. Mm-hmm. 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 All right, now, switching gears. Oh, hold on, unless you had a, another topic. Uh, well, I can say, since we're on the thing of trees, which takes us to mushrooms, which are, mushrooms are forest partners. Mushrooms should are good everywhere because mushrooms are compost, Well, it, make compost. And like you just said, mushrooms are good everywhere, They're okay? They're partners with your soil. But every time someone sees a mushroom growing, whether it's in their bed or in their yard, we're getting a phone call like, what yes, should I do? Because saying. they automatically think that there's something really bad mm-hmm. going on. And that's not the case at all. And I know Jim loves mushrooms. You know, oh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not saying, y'all, he loves eating them or psychedelics. Um, well, maybe. Well, when some maybe things we don't know you about. you know all of them. But yeah, so you know a lot of varieties of mushrooms and, and what they contribute to the soil and the environment. Yes, they're an extremely important part, you know. Now, I don't advocate going out and collecting them and eating them. No, right. because there are some that are not going to be good for you. That's right, and some of them are so close. I mean, you know, in fact, I was reading an article just this week where they've had an, 
an outbreak in, I think it was Ohio, where they've had a number of people poisoned because they went out and thought this particular yeah. mushroom that's normally up this time of the year, but it wasn't. It was a look-alike, and it's made a lot of people sick. Wow. So um, That's you know. how nature works. It, but I would never have that problem because I do not like mushrooms at all so i'll never have that problem well I, you know it's not one of my i'll eat them on a mm-hmm. pizza or something like that you know and in sometimes a, a good um one that's been cooked and good uh-uh. steak sauce and no. juice i mean no and you can that. always pick them off the pizza by the way but anyway yeah, go ahead that's so. what my, that's what carol does yeah so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they they play an important part of breaking that soil down, breaking nutrients down, and you know all you're seeing is just the reproductive part, and it's a, an extremely small part of the mushroom. Mm. All the rest mm-hmm. of it's underground. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so it's. Uh, any, but anytime you have that process where something is decomposing, whether it's ground up leaves, whether it's no root, whether it's a mm-hmm. stick under the ground, whatever, bark a lot yeah. of times in people's beds, mm-hmm. you can get mushroom growth. Exactly. Okay? So the mushrooms are breaking down the old trees to make more trees because you've made good soil for more trees to grow It's in. breaking down organic matter. So th- th- that's what I'm saying. A lot of people, when they see a mushroom, they automatically think that it's something bad. That is not the yeah, case. And, and don't hesitate. Check them over. You know, yeah, if you kick them up, get, get a rake, knock that. them over. Because again, because, the yeah. most important part's still underground. Yeah, and if you're knocking them over, then they'll just break down faster into the soil. Mm-hmm. If you just can't see them, if you just don't want to look at them, because there's so many cool looking ones. There's blue ones. There's psychedelics. Oh yeah, looking ones. <laughs> but they, but it, it is an important part of Mother Nature breaking this stuff down to organic matter. And like Jim was just saying. What we're seeing above ground is just the fruiting body of that mm-hmm. fungal. That's all it is. Most of that stuff, the myceliums and all that, are underground. There's where they're doing most of their work. So if you see a mushroom growing in your yard, it doesn't mean there's anything mm-hmm. wrong with your yard. It means it's just something out there that's breaking down naturally. Now, sometimes it can mean that the ground or wherever you see them growing is staying a little too wet, maybe. Mm-hmm. But that's not always the case either. And so if they're growing in a circle, then you may have a problem. Fairy well, ring. There's Could that. Yeah. Ring, yeah. But that's there's not really that. the mushroom that's doing that. Well, I guess well, it would yeah, be. It is. The, in some, you know, there are about 40 different funguses that are associated with fairy ring. Uh, and some of them form such a thick layer of mycelium that even water can't penetrate. Right. So you can have your grass suffer. And it's, it's really weird because some of them will, inside that ring, will make the grass die. Mm-hmm. Some of them will make it grow faster. Yeah, yeah with the and proteins greener. they're right. giving off. Yeah, so, you know, there's some beautiful ones in the park across the street from a house in Bartlett, and and they're 25 feet wide. You know, when they wow. when they come up, they're just absolutely. Wait, what's 25 feet? The wide? The, the fairy the ring. fairy ring. Oh, I thought you, you know? meant the mushroom. No, <laughs> and they can't. Is that be, Alice in Wonderland. Well, technically, it's probably is. And they can be hard. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> and they can be a little hard to get rid of too. I mean. Thank goodness we don't see a whole lot of what they call fairy ring in our yeah. in our landscapes or in our in our lawns. But heritage will take care of it. It well, good because yeah. you know years and years ago there wasn't hardly anything on the market mm-hmm. that would take care of fairy ring. Yeah, yeah. but you're saying heritage, which heritage is a fungicide, which you, you know it's, it's not a restricted use chemical, so homeowners could probably get it special ordered by you, but it's uh, it, it will control it. Yeah. All right, when we get back from the break, I know we got to go to the break in about a minute, but y'all kind of preface things mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about, Ms. Veda. Maybe y'all will be interested in. The Hosta of the Year for next year, mm-hmm. and I'll explain to you why I'm not really that excited, okay, <laughs> uh, about this. And, You're going to have the Hosta people getting you. And then there's, some, uh, there's also some shrubs of the year for next year, and there's a particular hydrangea that I'm really excited about. 
And then there's another shrub of the year for next year, and I'm really excited mm-hmm. about it. And I'll tell you, of course, yeah. why. And it's, it's going to be pretty cool, I'm telling you. Now, that's going to be if it's going to be even to be available. A lot of times we get these shrubs of the year for 2023, and you try to find one in the spring of 2023, nowhere to be found. And then we forget about it by the time it's out. So we'll go over some of these uh, neat uh, perennials and shrubs that should be available next year and why I think they're going to be on our must list. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing about the new hosta because I has to has a hosta. Well, of course you do because you're one of those fanatics, and I mean that in a good way. Yeah, I'll put it in a container. Oh, we'll yeah. be right back. back to Mid-South Gardening. Let's go to Rosemary from East Memphis. Good morning. You're in the garden, Rosemary. Hey, Veda. Hey, I'm good. Thanks. How have you been? Good morning, Rosemary. Uh, yeah. Hey, Ken and Jim. Yes, Let me ma'am. First say, I, I kind of slept in this morning. That's okay. So I didn't hear you guys at six o'clock when you first come uh, on. Well, you can listen to the podcast. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and well, I, I, I was asleep and then I turned the radio on at six thirty. Okay. And I heard the Jim was back. Yeah. Yes. Jim, I'm so glad to hear you. You guys, you three, uh, now you are complete. Right? Well, thank you. Right. Love right. you for saying that, Rosemary. Yeah, Absolutely. I tell you. Yeah, okay, well, let me hurry on because uh, I got three questions I want to ask you guys. And uh, then I'm going to hang up and I want y'all to talk about it. Okay. My first question is for um, Kenneth. Um, Kenneth, um, I had a really bad mold problem. Mm-hmm. Moles just tore up my yard. Now, I know you have a lot of people come at uh, Dan West. Mm-hmm. I, can, I come up there one time, and I showed you on my cell phone the things that they were doing to my yard. Yeah. They had ruts and holes, and it was really soft. But do you know, since the drought, yeah. my yard has just bounced back and yeah. recovered? Yeah. And I'm just wondering, I want you to talk about, do you think perhaps the drought had something to do with the decreased mold activity? You know, did the grubs die or what? Okay. But my, my yard looks fine now. And the second, uh, well, you know, during the summer it yeah. did. You know, now yeah. it's fall. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now my second question is for Veda. Veda, I have three huge flower pots that I, you know, I put nice plants in during the spring and summer, caladiums, creeping jenny, sweet potato vines. It's beautiful. Now, they have died back, and I have cleaned them out. So should I just dump the soil in my flower bed and start over with fresh soil in the spring and the summer? That's my question for you. And my last question is for Jim. Mm-hmm. Jim, talk about the birds. Talk about the birds. Okay. Because I want to know, um, now since the fall and we're headed for winter, um, all my birds, you know, I still have my bird feeders up. And the only thing I see out there now 
is morning doves mm-hmm. on uh, a regular basis. Occasionally, I see the beautiful red cardinals. Mm-hmm. But my bluebirds have just about disappeared. Have they all migrated? Or I, I thought they stick around, and uh, that's why I have the feeders up. I keep mm-hmm. the feeders up, you know, so I could feed them in the wintertime when food is kind of scarce for them. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to hang up and y'all talk about that, okay? All okay. right, Rosemary. Thank you, thank, thank you. Thank you, babe. Bye-bye. Have a great weekend. We're starting with the moles. I mean, yeah, anybody and everybody at some point can have a problem with a mole or moles, M-O-L-E-S. Um, you know, do I think that the population of the moles are less now than they were a year ago because of the drought we had? Absolutely not. They're still out there. In fact, I think I had more complaints this summer about moles in people's yards and mold damage than I ever have. Hmm. Now, you know, I don't know if that's coincidence. I don't know if it's weather-related. I think it's just it's a problem that just never goes away. Um, so as far as um, Rosemary's, uh, you know, her not seeing the mole activity out there right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, is a blessing. Is a blessing. There's no doubt about it. But I don't think the, uh, the, the drought had absolutely nothing to do with her not having that problem now. Now, what happens, you know, moles get in the yards. Usually, if you don't do anything at all, okay, as far as grub killing, repellents, uh, the mold poisons that we can put out or the mold traps, you're going to have moles in your yards anywhere from two years to forever, okay? <laughs> but usually I've seen in most people's yards that where they don't absolutely do nothing, they do nothing at all to get rid of these moles. After It seems like after a couple of years, they found their way into the neighbor's yard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've just kind of migrated themselves out of that area. But uh, no, ma'am, Rosemary, I think it's just a, uh, a matter of coincidence that you just don't have a mole problem as we speak, but I don't think the drought uh, had anything to do with that. Okay, and the soil, I don't ever dump it all out of my containers at all. And a lot of times I'm able to, you know, take a knife and dig the soil out like the hoary hoary knife. I mean, it's a great gardener's they knife. They kind of dig the old dig plants, the old plants out. out. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I don't try to get all the roots and everything out. I just leave those in there too. And then I'll add some worm castings or some plant tone or even a couple handfuls of compost, depending on how big the roots were when I pulled it out, you know, how much soil it left. So I just add soil, replenish it, mix it up really good, um, and then just replant in it like that. Now, sometimes if uh, I've got almost a whole container of soil left because I didn't take a lot of roots out or a lot of soil out when removing things, I'll go ahead and dump the soil out and then take another good bag of soil amendment or um, organic soil and mix it with what I had in the container. But if you can just go without throwing soil out, it's the best ever. Now, if your plants weren't performing well and you pull your soil out of the pot and it's real light and airy where it contains more sphagnum, probably then or I would go ahead and or more peat soil. more peat yeah then I would go ahead and add more organic compost to that peat based soil but in essence just always use the soil that's in there just amend it yeah so and what if you're just adding more potting soil yeah that's I mean, you could do that yeah, also right, right right yeah there's potting soil that's got all the organic mixture in it there's yeah. the fox farm the earth mix the those happy two. frog and yeah. all those yeah, yeah. so so you you're saying you don't necessarily have to dump all that soil mm-hmm. out of those pots every fall yeah. and start over with brand mm-hmm. new potting soil right exactly 
Okay, let's talk about birds. What we see in periods of drought like we've had here is that birds tend to move closer to sources of water. Hmm. So that kind of uh, is the reason that you begin to see less of them in, in urban areas, uh, less of them at your feeders. Now, typically bluebirds are here year-round. Um, mm-hmm. I feed mine uh, mealworms. Uh, and I, well, actually, now I've started feeding them the larva of the black Spanish fly because it's cheaper than mealworms. Um, and but I have times when they'll find them, you know, ten minutes after I fill the feeder, mm-hmm. and then times when it'll go a week without hardly any eating out of them. And let me say this also, Jim: I've got a bluebird house mm-hmm. in my backyard, and I do get a brood or two every year in that bluebird house. And they're using my backyard really just for the house. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's really why they're I see them, you know. Mm-hmm. But after they do that first or second brood of, of, of babies, uh, I really don't see them anymore after that. I know mm-hmm. that they're still in the neighborhood or maybe in the woods or somewhere else where it's more uh, maybe beneficial for them as far as food and water. But, the, but I do get them in my backyard for the house that I do have up. Mm-hmm. So I think it's always good. If you want bluebirds, you almost ha- need to have a bluebird house you up. You should. You should. Um, and, and then, of course, you target the type birds that you're wanting to, to feed. I don't feed any millet uh, at all because it tends to bring sparrows. I don't feed any corn because it tends to bring blackbirds. Uh, I feed woodpeckers. Uh, I use a, uh, a mealworm uh, and sunflower block of suet that mm-hmm. uh, really for, for woodpeckers and uh, and then I also put out a, a regular uh, suet the the greasy stuff yeah. uh, <laughs> you know for woodpeckers also uh, but I don't feed any loose food at all you know it's all in suet uh, and then just feed uh, and, and not that bird seed that's uh, 25 pound mm-hmm. for two dollars right because no, 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 then no, you no, get no, hardly no. any food and lots of weeds uh-huh. so so yeah. but the bluebirds you're saying Jim they you know there's some that do migrate but for the most part around in our area you're yeah. still going to get a lot of bluebirds that, that stay over in fact case to point remember when it when was that winter two years ago when we had that sudden drop oh, in temperature right, yeah. right. there were so many pictures of bluebirds that were in the bluebird houses that still died it happened mm-hmm. to me and we had four die in the house because of that sudden drop in temperature so yeah. there's a lot of bluebirds that do stick around um, but I still am a firm believer that if you get a bluebird house up mm-hmm. uh, depending on where you live, you have a great chance of getting bluebirds. And I mean, and mine stick around for at least half the summer when they're raising those babies. Yeah, do bluebirds like an older house? Do they, because like if sometimes you put a new house up and they're just like, "Ah, let me wait a while. No, I mean, I got them the first year that I put it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, it was, yeah, and I've had them for for many, many years now. So it's a win-win for me. So keep bird baths around. I mean, I'm enjoying in the back courtyard of the garden center. We've got one bird, we've got one bird bath and a couple of bird feeders, and just all day, all day they're feeding and taking baths, and and they're just so cute. Like this one is a granite bird bath, and yeah. it's not very deep at all. Right. But I watch uh, the birds will land on the side, and you watch them slide sideways <laughs> to the water. It's so cute. They're little, these are little um, chickadees, 
Finch, not Finch. Maybe Wrens or something. Yeah, Wrens. Yeah. There's just a whole lot of them, and it's so fun. Y'all, y'all got to have bird feeders. Well, I'm going to tell you so what, and bird watch. bass, but it was yeah. hard keeping those bird baths full of water this year. It was. If we didn't have the, it was under, the bird bath was around the irrigation, oh. so it was being filled every day. Uh, but we did have to, in the summer, fill it more frequently because you don't want a big deep bird bath because they're not gonna no you want to be able to get in there and kind of wait around and flop around and you know fluff their little feathers but i tell you man i had a hard time keeping water in this bird this bird Mm -hmm. bath this year yeah birds are dirty they definitely need a bath i dump it out and add new water but it was just dehydrating so fast well we would start with nice clean water and then after they would play in it for a while and then move on take a nap i guess you'd go back and the water just dirty as could be yeah that's okay we can live with that Mm mm-hmm All right, we'll run to our last break, and then we've got a lot of good things to go over before the end of the show, and we'll be right back. Yep. Uh Uh-oh. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back. Oh, she's to going with the. <laughs> <laughs> she's going with the uh, the I guess the rhythm of the music, right, right? Right. Well, you're right. We got about ten more minutes. You can give us a call two six zero five nine two six. But let me squeeze this in real quick, guys. You know, there are fanatics and there are fanatics. And to me, the as far as in the garden world, the the hosta fanatics are the best people in the world. But they they won't. <laughs> every hosta or any new hosta that is on the market to me i love hostas because they're so easy to grow especially in shaded environments and there's blues and variegateds and miniatures and greens and there's so many different ones out there the 2023 american hosta growers hosta of the year is one called neptune okay now, Neptune, this, it says this unique blue hosta has narrow wedge-shaped leaves that have their color, uh, that hold their color, and but it has hev- they're heavily rippled, okay? Yeah. Uh, and they are very weeping in nature. So, in other words, this is, is a... That is a different one. It's very different, but this is a it's hosta. Old, it's an old hosta. Uh, yeah, mm. but is the, you're right. Well, I'm going to tell you about another one, too, that's, that's been around. <laughs> But they have acknowledged that this hosta is really good with this weeping habit for containers, mm-hmm, okay? Because yeah. it kind of grows up in weeps like back down uh-huh. uh, for ledges, yeah. okay? Uh, and then it's supposed to be a little more slug resistant than maybe some of the uh, the other hostas. But it, they, they really like it because of the rippling effect and the cascading form, okay? And I'm like, there's no problem with any of that, Right. Well, then you keep reading, you know, there's a company out there called Proven Winners. <laughs> Proven Winners has their own 2023 Hosta of the Year, okay? And that one is Empress Wu. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, no, Empress one. Wu has been out for quite a while. Right. But Empress Wu is one of those, has a huge dark green, big leaf. If you're looking for a Hosta that is gets really big, mm-hmm. kind of like some of these other ones that we grew up with, then don't overlook uh, Empress Wu. This hosta has um, huge, dark green, deeply veined leaves. Uh, they can get one and a half to t- uh, one and a half foot long and about one and a half foot wide. Those are big, it. big hostas, okay? But I was just thinking how, hmm, why do they have different 2023 hostas right. of the years that A, have been around for a long time? And they're just now acknowledging or just now recognizing that these are pretty neat hostas mm-hmm. for their own attributes, right? 
So I thought that was pretty funny. I'm just wondering, who is they? Well, yeah, who are they? <laughs> so the 2023 perennial of the year uh, is the Gold Rush Rebecca. And I have no problem with that because I love Rebecca's. I mean, it's one of those heavy-blooming perennials. They love to move around on you. They're tough as everything. And this particular one is more resistant to the, uh, what, septoria leaf spot that mm-hmm. they get. So this has got to be a win-win-win situation because we all know how Rebecca can look later on in the year when they start getting a little stressed, maybe a little underwatered, and we start seeing all that leaf spot on them. Mm-hmm. Well, this one of the uh, this new one, uh, the Gold Rush Rebecca, is supposed to be pretty darn clean from beginning to end. Nice. Okay, so remember that. Every time you say Rebecca on the little thing here, it says Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> now, proven winners, perennial of the year, we were talking about Heuchera a while ago, is called the Wild Berry um, Heuchera. This one has purple leaves with charcoal veins and white flowers. I can't make that live for anything. So that's what we're going to have to find, wait and see. It does not live. You know? Nope, nope. So, but uh, but the Rebecca, the true perennial of the year, anybody can grow Rebecca. Mm-hmm. All right, these are the two that I really wanted to talk about real quick. These are some of the shrubs of the year for 2023. Well, we've all have heard of uh, Let's Dance hydrangeas. Okay, those were the old-fashioned mm-hmm. ball-shaped, big-leafed hydrangeas that were repeat bloomers, kind of like the um, the endless summers, and right? And some of those are, are are the lace cap types also. Jim, you're hitting it right here. This one's called Let's Dance Can Do. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a um, a mountain uh, hydrangea. It is a lace cap hydrangea, but this has the ability to create flower buds along the entire length of the stem and not just at the top. So I think that is really cool because if you get a winter in here and it burns the top off of these hydrangeas, well, this has the ability to create buds from the top to the bottom of the stem. So and I think that is a serrata. That's it is a serrata. So wow. y'all, I think this is going to be something that we're really going to need to take a look at because of the blooming ability yeah. Veda on this. Uh, and I know we got to call her. So Ellen. it's less dance can do. Less dance can do. A great lace cap hydrangea. And real quick. This is the one that I'm more excited about than any of them, the Purple Pillar Rose of Sharon. And, y'all, this is a Rose of Sharon that you've never seen before. It's uh, Purple Pillar naturally grows as a narrow column instead of a wide-spreading shrub. It gets about 10 foot tall and only 2 to 3 foot wide. So we're going to have a Rose of Sharon Mm-hmm. That would get up to 10 foot tall and only 2 to 3 foot wide. Awesome. I love it. Let's go to Alan from Cordova. Good morning, Alan. Hey, good morning, guys. It's hey. good to hear y'all's voices today. Thank, thank you, Alan. Um, so I had a quick question about green onions. Mm. My wife and I love to cook with green onions. So we have a pretty substantial little garden of them out on our balcony at our apartment. Yeah. And I was wondering what we need to do. I know they're pretty hardy, but I was wondering, you know, how how we should care for them when it gets cold and starts frosting and stuff. Green. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you're not going to have to do much in That's right. That's what I'm thinking. Just nothing. Just keep doing what what you're doing. I was crossing my fingers. Yeah. (laughs) Frost is not going to bother them. I can tell you that because of the wild green onions in my yard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and so you're oh, buying, Ellen, are you buying, yeah, are you buying the little uh, onion sets, the little bulbs, and planting those in the planters or the containers and getting your green onion tops from those? 
we actually grew some from seed, and we wow. also did do that. We just, whatever we had from the grocery store, mm-hmm. we just kind of chopped the heads off and stuck them in the ground, and they started growing. Did yeah. you find the ones from the seed seemed to be bigger, um, healthier, or did you just see about the same? Actually, they're... Um, they're actually narrower. They seem more thin, mm-hmm. but they're like a deeper green. I think yeah. they're a richer green color. Yeah. Well, and that's a great question, Alan, yeah. because onions are so easy to grow. I mean, there's nothing in the world that's going to kill those onions other than us, right? <laughs> but, you Perfect. know, whether you're putting the seed in there, starting from seed, or if you want something that's going to grow onion green tops a lot faster, uh, any garden center, you're typically going to find those onion sets, and they come usually in whites and reds and yellows, and you just pluck those things or just push them down in the soil mm-hmm. and just cut the green tops as you need them. But it's one of the easiest vegetables to grow, period. Definitely. It's working great. One other question real quick. Um, I came across some Japanese, uh, actually cherry blossom seeds in a mm-hmm. store recently, and for probably two months now i've been trying to get these seeds to grow and they just haven't come out i've been growing them you know in a mm-hmm. in a new container right next to the bonsai tree i already have and they just haven't even sprouted yet so i'm wondering if i just got some dead japanese seeds <laughs> and what kind of seed was it the it cherry was japanese cherry blossom. yeah cherry blossom well, well you might need to pre-chill. You might need to to, to chill that seed. Or yeah. soak them. Yeah. I mean, I would take uh, collect some of the seeds, Alan, put them in a paper bag, put them in the refrigerator, take them out next spring, and then plant them up in some good potting soil and see if you get germination that way. We'll see y'all next weekend in the garden. Have a wonderful week, and maybe we'll see you at the garden centers this week as well.